from the high desert and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever the case may be in whatever time zone you're residing in, each and every one of them around the world. That's a, that's a long way. Covered by this program, Coast to Coast AM, the largest program of its type in the world. Great to be here. My honor and privilege to be escorting you through the weekend. The webcam photograph tonight at Coast to Coast AM on our uh, webcam is Yeti. People have complained they haven't seen Yeti of late, and they haven't. Because uh, our new little one that we tend to favor photographically hangs around Abby. They are best buddies. And so when we've had cat photographs up in the past, uh, it's been the two of them for the most part. Yeti is still here well. Happy ruling his kingdom. And oh, he is a ruler too. There's a photograph of him taken about an hour ago. I would like to commend CNN, Headline News. Been watching it for the last hour and a half or so. And they have been on the crawl at the bottom of the screen running all of the recalled pet foods. And I think they deserve plenty of props for that. It's a kind of an arduous list to read, but, uh, you know, you keep looking for your own pet food there. Haven't seen mine yet. And worrying. As I said last night, and I won't uh, repeat myself except to say there needs to be a agency of some sort. Yes, a government agency. There would be a central clearinghouse for information of this kind. Anyway, props to CNN for doing the right thing. God knows how many animals and how much grief they will save by doing that. We will get to unscreened open lines, but first, look at the news. Never good. The powerful Shiite cleric al-Sadr ordered his militiamen on Sunday to redouble their battle to oust American forces And they argued that Iraq's army and police should join him in defending your arch enemy. The U.S. military announced the weekend deaths of 10 American soldiers, including six killed on Sunday. Security remained so tenuous in the capital on the eve of the fourth anniversary of the U.S. capture of Baghdad that Iraq's military declared a 24-hour ban on all vehicles in the capital from 5 a.m. Monday. Government quickly reinstated Monday as a holiday. Just after a uh, just day, rather after it had declared that April 9th no longer would be a day off. Well, that's a way to start a revolution in a country. Tell everybody they've got a day off and then cancel it. In a rueful reflection on what might have been an Iraqi government insider details in 500 pages, the U.S.'s occupation calls it shocking mismanagement of his country. A performance so bad, he writes, that by 2007, Iraqis had turned their backs on their would-be liberators. The corroded and corrupt state of Saddam was replaced by a corroded, inefficient, incompetent, and corrupt state of the new order. Otherwise, I guess it was fine. (laughs) Don Imus is going to appear with uh, Al Sharpton, going to go actually go on Al Sharpton's radio program just five days after Imus made racially charged comments on his own show. And by the way, Sharpton has not changed his mind about trying to roust Imus, says he'll continue to write the FCC a letter. 
The 15 British sailors and Marines held in Iran for nearly two weeks have permission now to sell their stories to the media. Ministry of Defense said Sunday that there's exceptional interest in all of this. The decision drew complaints from some opposition politicians who said the whole thing could tarnish the image of Britain's armed forces. A teenager once arrested alongside her mother in a prostitution case has now been accused of running an escort service out of her suburban Chicago home using the popular website Craigslist. Kimberly Peterson, boy, Craigslist been in the news a lot lately. Kimberly Peterson, 17, arrested after detectives doing a routine search of the site's classified boards found one included, including an offer to... Uh, Enjoy a beautiful blonde for X number of dollars per hour. All right, in a moment, we will look at the rest of the news. By the way, folks, I've been keeping track. uh, You know, I've got, of course, a very public email. Uh, Incidentally, if you want to email me, I'm artbell at mindspring.com. A-R-T-B-E-L-L at mindspring.com or artbell at AOL.com. And I've been keeping track now for about a year of the amount of money that I've been offered due to, well, any number of things. Uh, Winning lotteries. Sometimes my email, apparently for some reason, just wins large amounts of money. And, of course, the uh, ever-present passing of some Nigerian government official. Anyway, I've been keeping a running total, and thus far I have passed up, in about the last year, $113,457,900,927. That's a lot of money. $113,475,927. Just passed it right up. I'll keep a running total. All right, bees. I guess I have been receiving more email of late about the bee disappearance than any other single subject we talk about on the air. Einstein said if honeybees should disappear from the earth, so would plant, animal, and human life disappear within four years. An additional observation stated that we humans owe every third bite of food to honeybees. That may be underdone. There is a problem here in the U.S. that's been reported in around uh, half the states now and has now spread to Canada as well. The U.K. and eight other European countries also are reporting the same problem. They're gone. The bees, Spain, Poland, Greece, Croatia, Switzerland, Italy, Portugal, Germany. This is getting really scary. One British uh, Telegraph newspaper said that in London, over 4,000 hives. In London alone, that would be two-thirds of the bees are simply now gone. Sometimes the dead bees are found, but often the bees seem to have simply been raptured. One of the strangest parts of the whole story, the mystery is that in London, at least, no robber bees have invaded the empty hives to make off with the stored honey, which is usually what happens when hives are left empty. Chopping quotes John Chappell, head of the London Beekeepers Association, is saying, it's frightening. 
The mortality rate is the highest in living memory. No one seems to know what's behind it. Nobody. Uh, The guesses range right across the board. On a recent uh, conference call on the subject, Dr. Carlo uh, thinks that uh, the sudden demise might have something to do with EMF, electromagnetic uh, radiation. He uh, cites the startling stats that at present there are about 2.5 billion cell phone users around the world. While this, plus the explosive growth of cell phone towers, used to be the major concern, the problem has now been significantly uh, exacerbated by the recent introduction of satellite radio. Now, I don't really buy into this, folks, but uh, here's one person blaming the whole thing on electromagnetic radiation. So I have no idea what's causing the disappearance of the bees, but of all the stories we're following right now, this would seem to have the most immediate consequences for humankind. No food. No bees, no pollination, no food. So with all the things going wrong, this one would seem to be catching us the, the most quickly. Would you agree with that? I mean, we've got global warming, but that's out around 2040, 2050, when the really serious consequences manifest, if they're right. Uh, We've got the coming sun cycle looking toward 2011, 2012. But if two-thirds of the bees are gone now, well, my goodness, uh, that would seem to have rather immediate consequences. All right, we are going, I'm going to very shortly now take open line, unscreen calls. That means when I answer, you should immediately turn off your radio. You'll hear me answer, and you'll hear kind of a sound, I think, and then you'll know you're on the air. I'll say it. Reach over and right away turn off the radio. Despite the temptation to hear yourself on the radio, Turn it off because it will confuse you and make you actually sound confused on the air. And I know you don't want that. So let me give out the numbers right now. If you're here west of the Rockies, the magic portal number is 1-800-618-8255. If you're east of the Rockies, big chunko people, one 800 First time callers. We love you. Area code 818-501-4721. That's area 818-501-4721. Wildcard line, folks. Area code 818-501-4109. And finally, if you're outside the country, yes, there is a way. It's area code 818. Whoops. No, it's free. Get hold of your international operator and have her call 800 800- 893-0903. That's 800-893-0903. Well, all right. We humans have been trying to figure out how we'll be affected by global warming. We realize that other species, such as penguins, polar bears, and such, are vulnerable, but something we rarely notice, coral may perish in warmer waters, and this will affect the fish we humans eat. While humans can survive large temperature fluctuations, corals 
are only comfortable within about a 12-degree temperature range, and rising global temperatures appear to be threatening their very survival. Coral. So like the bees, coral at some level is very important. According to biologist Drew Harville, the warm temperatures that have been occurring worldwide as a result of global warming appear to be now creating fatal epidemics in coral reefs all around the globe. In The Independent, Steve Connor points out that tropical coral reefs are the places where fish congregate. Many of these fish are fish that people worldwide depend on for food. More than half these reefs are becoming degraded beyond repair. According to Connor, it would take an additional area of coral uh, four times, it says, the size of the Great Barrier Reef, the biggest system in the world to sustain current fishing levels. So think about it a little bit. The honeybees disappearing. I, I had a caller who said they were raptured, which I've sort of grabbed onto. I like that. That takes care of an awful lot of the food on land, and if the coral and other sea things just die, these dead areas in the ocean continue, we really will have a pretty significant food problem soon. Well, that climate study I told you about came out, but it did not come out untouched. They were fighting about the language. In other words... For example, how many uh, people really will be affected? How many millions of people? Well, they were going to—they're going to actually say uh, how many millions? About 120 million, or hundreds of millions. But they changed that. They changed a whole lot of it. Scientists actually managed to get the last word, but they changed a lot of it. Some of the highlights, more than one-sixth of the world's population live in glacier or snowmelt river basins and will be affected by a decrease of water volume and, depending on how much fossil fuels are burned in the future, 262 to 983 uh, 983 million people are likely to move into the water-stressed category by, here we go, 2050. Global warming could increase the number of hungry people in the world in 2080 by anywhere between 140 million and 1 billion, depending on how much greenhouse gas is emitted emitted over the next few decades. Overall, a two- to three-fold increase of population to be flooded expected by 2080. Malaria, diarrhea diseases, dengue fever, tick-borne diseases, heat-related deaths will all rise with global warming. But in the United Kingdom, the drop in cold-related deaths will be bigger than the increase in heat-stroke-related deaths. In eastern North America, depending on fossil fuel emissions, smog will increase, and there'd be a 4.5% increase in smog-related deaths, because global warming will, of course, hurt the poor more. There'll be more social equality concerns and pressure for governments to do more. Lake Superior's warming is accelerating. That's right, Lake Superior. Past generation Lake Superior has been warming even faster than the climate around it, according to a new study. Attributed to reduced ice cover because of milder winters, the warming has caused the lake's summer season to begin about two weeks earlier than it did 27 years ago. 
It is, said Jay Austin, assistant professor with Large Lakes Observatory on the Department of Physics at UMD, quote, a remarkably rapid rate of change. So no matter where you look, the environment seems to be morphing around us or under our feet, however you want to think about it. All right, here we go. Let's dive in. First time caller line, you are on the air. Hey, how are hey. you today? Yes. This is Epoch from Oregon. Welcome. So, what do you what do you like think about us doing the job of the bees? Oh, uh, you mean uh, flitting about from flower to flower and uh, uh, pollinating? Indeed so. I don't think it's impossible. I mean, we have the technology. Well, I suppose we do. Um, I, I don't know why. We actually, we had one very large bee outside our house here in Nevada, um, which we watched the other day. We had only one, and a little guy, we were urging him on fl- from flower to flower, and he dutifully uh, went went around and pollinated, uh, spread it all around. But in terms of doing it ourselves, I don't know, how would you suggest it? be done i'm sure we could figure out something i guess like a little q-tip and if everybody did enough we would really have it like if we all grew our gardens and we all pollinated our own stuff i don't do you think have a, be... do you have really sweet lips <laughs> sometimes <laughs> depends on if i've been eating cotton candy <laughs> i can almost see you uh well that's a vision <laughs> Cool. Anyway, I don't know. Could humans do the uh, pollinator? It's actually a pretty good question, and I don't know the answer. Hmm, I see. And you know what? I've been seeing some wild bees up here. I'm living on a mountaintop, yes. and I see these bees, and they're larger than the most of the bees that you know I've seen in the past. And yes, they have, it was the one we had here. It, really big. In fact, uh, it was a little scary. Did it have red on it? I think it did. Yes, this, this, this guy was really big. Yeah, Monster Ultra Mega Bee with red. And I've been seeing a lot of those more than, like, your average little honeybee. I don't suppose they've actually eaten the little ones, do they? I considered that, actually. He did look fat. <laughs> I mean, totally. there, there could have been any number of little bees, normal-sized bees, in his gut. Indeed so. Perhaps they are bees. I don't know. I'm making another... light of this, but it's actually, you know, it's very, very serious. Indeed so. But they could be bees from another place that are, in fact, devouring our honeybees. I'll miss the honey, though. I don't think I can create honey. I don't think so. Uh, Well, anyway, let me know how you do. Can humans, can we somehow do the job of the bees? I actually doubt it. I mean, that's a really big job. Yes, they're little fellows and little gals, but uh, bees do have sexes, right? But... uh, but it's a big job. I mean, it's a monstrous job. We underrate what insects do. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. I was wondering uh, what you, if you ever experimented with marijuana. Why do you ask? Why would you ask me such a question? Just because I always wondered. Um, have you? Like, if you ever had any, like, psychedelic experiences. Ha- have you experimented? Yeah. 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 Okay. And what's your phone number? My phone number. Uh huh. And and oh, your address. I can't tell you. And what other psychedelics have you done beyond marijuana? LSD, huh? 
drop some LSD, did you? I don't know. Why do you? you and let's have your social security number. <laughs> well, I mean, I come on, now, think, think about so. it for a moment. Think about it. Think about what you just did. You called me up on the air and asked me if I did something illegal. Now, everybody knows who I am, right? So yeah, I, what, I, what kind of answer do you expect? Give me a break. Well, you don't have to get upset about it. I'm not. Okay. I'm having fun with you. You, you can claim the fifth, you and I won't care. <laughs> All right. All right. I claim the Fifth Amendment against, uh, what, what is it, uh, protecting myself in self-incrimination, something like that, right? What a question to call up and ask somebody on the air. Good heavens to Betsy. From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I'm Art Bell. From Whitley Strieber's Unknown Country, cars that fix their own dents are on the way. Now, this surely must be from the Roswell crash, right? Wouldn't it be great? Well, actually, it's going to be great because it's actually coming. We're going to have cars that, uh, when you have a fender bender, simply snap back into shape. So I guess no getting out and yelling. All you do is get out and look, make sure it's snapped back into shape, and drive away. No more insurance companies. No more overcharging for rebending the metal the way it ought to be. Wouldn't that That'd be really spiffy. Whole thing is uh, done at the cellular level, I guess. And uh, it'll be coming in the next few years. So look for it. I bet, I betcha it came from Roswell. Back with all of you and unscreened open lines in a moment. Top of the hour, Todd Standing, and we're going to be talking about Bigfoot, one of my favorite topics. Listen, uh, this is uh, sort of interesting. Jerry in McCook, Nebraska says, Hey, Art, uh, what if the bees are just rebelling? What if they're sick of it all? What What if they've moved their colonies into the wild like the song says, Take this job and, hey, well, you know. What if the bees are smart and just got tired of working for us? Kind of doubt that one, but one never knows. Wildcard line, you are on the air. Hello. Going once, going twice, gone like the wind. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, Art. How's it going? It's going well. Good. Hey, um, I wanted to call to say about Todd Standing. Uh, yes. Uh, I went to his uh, trailer. I'm actually from the same city he's from. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to his trailer here, and he promotes it as being a, a documentary, correct? But when you went to it, like, it, it started off, showing the footage and showing the Bigfoot and all that. And then all of a sudden, it morphed into this, like, Blair Witch Project movie. Like, I think he's a hoaxer personally, because his documentary morphed into a movie about, like, these happy-go-lucky 20-something teens that were went into the woods and got lost, and then, like, a Bigfoot was chasing them or something like that. Yeah, I haven't and had then, a, the opportunity. I tried to get on his website, and it was clogged up and didn't come up earlier. Yeah. So I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, beware because, uh, like, uh, and and everyone in the whole theater afterwards knew that. Well, what is this? Because he said it was documentary, but then it just turned into this big joke. And so I think he was just trying to get publicity for his uh, his movie through, through the, by promoting that he's actually a serious researcher. Okay. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Okay. All right, thank, thank you very much. Uh, we, we will certainly ask. Let's see, Todd Standing is a documentarian. Yeah, he is a documentarian. 
responsible for the website uh, Chronicles and mini-documentary entitled Svanik. The past three years, he and his team have been struggling to prove one of the most controversial anthropological issues in the history of North America, the discovery of Bigfoot. Well, uh, he's done very serious research, so I don't know what he's done to uh, promote uh, his work, but, uh, but we'll find out. We'll ask him. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Okay, I'm not able to hear whoever that is. All right, well, they've got the radio on or something. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Hi. I'm Donna from Vancouver, B.C. Hi, Donna. Very Hi, it's so nice to talk to you. What a surprise. I didn't think I'd get through. That's anyway, how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> Anyway, I wanted to tell you a really cute bee story, but first of all, I just want to say that I love the bees very much, and I'm very sad that they're kind of going away. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed this for the past, oh, three or four years or so. And what I always do is go out to the flowers, and I coax them onto my hands, and they walk around my fingers and on my See, hands. I, I don't do that. Why not? Well, because they, they sometimes sting. No, they don't. Thing. Well, they, they do. Because they know they can sense, I think. Just like if you approach a dog that you love, he can sense what, you, what you're about, you know? Well, that's true. In other yeah. words, you're, you're claiming the bees know that you're a yeah. loving, you, you love bees, and so they I, treat you accordingly. I love bees so much that I would love to go to a beekeeper's farm and ask him if he could just put uh, something over my eyes and my nose and just so I don't inhale anything, you know? And, have and then walk. allow yourself to be covered head to foot by bees. Yes, yes, head to toe. I'd, I would, I'd enjoy watching that, actually. Well, that'd be nice. I'll let you know. But anyway, <laughs> when you told that story, or you did, you said not a story, but you said one night that you thought if the bees were dying, their little bee bodies would be laying with the little bee legs up That's in the right. air. That's right. Well, the next. I mean, day, I mean, it was a. You know, that was sort of a. Well, just I can picture that, you know. Form of speech. And yeah. anyway, I left my apartment the next day to go out. And just a few feet down the hallway, I thought what I saw was a spider laying there, black little thing, and um, kind of creeped me out for a minute. But I looked a little closer, and there, guess what it was? A bee with his little legs up in the air. You're right. And I thought, first of all, I thought, I hope he's not dead. So I put my hand down, and sure enough, the little guy walked on my finger, oh. and he walked around all over my hands, and we finally got towards the window. He started to buzz. He wasn't buzzing to begin with. But you know that when they wash themselves, they wash themselves just like a cat around the eyes, you know, around the face? No, I, I Their did little not bee, know that. bee legs? No, I didn't did you know, know that. that. No, absolutely no? not. Well, you know now. Anyway, I got the little guy out the window, and... I thought he was injured, but he wasn't. He just wanted to pay me a visit in the hallway, and he flew away. So that was my present, I think, from God, because he knows that the bees are dying, and this may be one of my last chances to touch a bee. Well, maybe you save the bee that will uh, early... I watched a documentary earlier um, on uh, cable, which was called Genesis. And uh, the documentarian was a um, the presenter, as it were, if you're British, was an Indian fellow. And he said one and one is three. 
So maybe you just saved one of the uh, one of the mates that will produce uh, the only in nature. Do you find that equation one and one is three? So maybe you just saved the one that'll contribute to the third. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Yes. Hello. Um, well, I think about the bees. Not to make too light of it, but God, we have to laugh. I think maybe somebody should set up a sting operation. <laughs> Uh, I suppose even in the possible end of the world or food as we know it, you have to find some humor. Well, yes. And, and you know what they say about the arts that, you know, it's what keeps us from screaming too much. Oh, art. Oh, I just got that. Hey, <laughs> pun optional. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I specifically called tonight to tell you um, to put you on to a, a word that was a new word to me. And the word is femtosecond. Are you hip to femtosecond? Uh, say it again slower. Uh, okay, let me spell it. Uh, F is in Frank, E-M-T-O-S-E-C-O-N-D. <clears throat> femtosecond. Femtosecond. No, um, it's new. What does it mean? Yeah, okay, well, um, I found it in something and then went to the good old Wikipedia, and, and it is, okay, a, a femtosecond, in other words, a femtosecond is to a second what a second is to a hundred million years. Wow. Yeah. And one of the great examples they give, a hundred femtoseconds, for instance, if you're traveling at the speed of the light, a speed of light, a hundred femtoseconds is the time it takes you to cross a human hair. I thought you'd like that. That is pretty cool. I don't know why, but it is. No, no. I mean, it's a sort of, you know, like off topic, but like open lines. are. Well, no, that's right. It's open lines. Uh, Is this an offshoot of nanotechnology somehow? You know, I think that's what I think that's what it is. And if you look it up in in, uh, Wikipedia, their definition, it says um, one capital letter E dash one five small S. I guess if you typed in femtosecond, they would take you to that. But I think, and then underneath it is orders of magnitude by powers of seconds. Uh, so way over my head, I can't tell you. But um, all right, very interesting. Thank yeah. you. Well, you're very welcome. Good night. A, good night. A femtosecond. Uh, that is my first exposure to that word, and I love new words. A wild card line. You're on the air. Good morning. Oh, hello, Art. It's been a long time since we talked. Uh, this is concerns about uh, man helping out to pollinate things. Yes. On the flowers. Uh, this has been a good while back. Uh, there had been some experimentation, especially with cornfields, using speakers and then using a variable sounds at different frequencies to uh, see how this would move the air and uh, help pollinate. Uh, this goes back almost 30 years. Did it work? Uh, it was working, but apparently uh, I've never heard any follow-up on it. Of course, maybe the fact was the bees were doing their thing back then, and you know, it might have kind of, uh, pardon the pun, died on the vine. But yeah. uh, you know, this may be time to resurrect some of these wild-haired thoughts, and you know, we might going to need all the help we can get. It may be uh, with the bees uh, going wherever they're going uh, away, and with uh, as much trouble as we are having with the world's oceans. In other words, no fish left in fifty years if nothing changes. I mean, that's most of the world's food supply, isn't it? Uh, that which is pollinated on land, and then of course we've got the sea, or do we? Yeah, that definitely is a major problem. I live not too far from the Gulf Coast here. I live in Louisiana, so uh, 
I'm about 60 miles from the coast, and I've watched this happen through our marshes and everything. I do a lot of fishing. And, now, I was uh, going to ask you that. If you, if you go fishing and catch uh, a bunch of fish, are you comfortable, completely comfortable, bringing them home and then eating them, or do you worry a little? Uh, no, actually, I feel fairly comfortable. Uh, there have been certain areas that we had been restricted in the past, like around in the Kakashi area around Lake Charles. Right. Well, they had a lot of mercury contamination, so crabs, shellfish, uh, oysters, uh, they monitored that quite close, and they would put alerts out. You know, they kept that up there, but it's really cleared up tremendously. But there have been other problems, too. Of course, after Katrina, everybody was worried about the contamination in the marsh due to the uh, uh, oil and other... Uh, chemicals that were dumped in there as to wondering how you know how long that was going to take it before it started dispersing to be to safe levels but i haven't heard anything back that would say anything that was uh you know prohibitive all right well it's a worry because i i just uh, read a story i think the other day from the philippines philippine stories tend to catch my attention uh about quite a number of people who ate some fish that they caught there and uh got actually several died and Many more got very ill, paralyzed from eating the fish, and of course it was contamination. So, I don't know. Uh, land and sea, if you uh, put them together, they supply a very great deal of the percentage of the food that we all eat. Uh, Wildcard Line, you are on the air. Whoops, would have been. Sorry, I think I did that. Oh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, yes, who am I speaking with? The person you called. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm listening to you on the on the radio, and you were talking to someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm talking to you. Okay, good. Is this Art? Yes. Okay. Uh, my name is Arnold. Hi, Arnold. How are you doing? Fine. Uh, would you like to know what I called about? Uh, absolutely. Okay. What would you say if I told you that I have been appointed by God um, uh, to be a watchman? To be a watchman? Yes. Well, I guess I would first ask um, how you talked, spoke to God or received a message from God. I'm always interested in that. Uh, through uh, through uh, visions, signs. Uh, excuse me, through dreams, visions, signs, and wonders, hmm. uh, which is mentioned in the last days in the Bible. So you, you think these are the last days? Uh, I'm sure they're the last days of something. Uh, you know, exactly what, I'm not sure. Probably the bees. Excuse me? Last days of the bees. Of the bees. Yeah, that is, you know, that is a little scary. It is. Yes. It is actually... Uh, Actually, you know, when you think about it, it could be a biblical sign, couldn't it? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. really that big, yeah, really that big. Um, so anyway, in whatever way it, it occurred, you are to be a watcher. And, and what are you to watch? Um, well, um, I wrote a book, you know, about my experiences. Well, I can't. I can't let you promote a book here on the radio. I'm afraid. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, listen. Unless uh, you're a guest now, if you really got a good message from God, you uh, you might be able to get on as a as a guest, and then you. Can. Oh, okay. Well, I would love that. Uh, hey, listen. I, um, I just sent you two emails, and they are basically the same email, but but, uh, uh, but, but they have 
uh, excuse me, they have two uh, different subject lines. Okay, well, let me ask again, other than giving me a response of it's in my book, what are you supposed to watch for? Uh, I'm supposed to warn. Uh, um, are you familiar with the Bible at all, Any? I've read it, yes. Okay. Are you familiar with uh, Ezekiel uh, 33? Somewhat, yes. Uh, you know, he. Uh, that's where... Um, wheel? Excuse me? The wheel and all? Excuse me? The wheel and all? Ezekiel? Oh, no, no, that's not in Ezekiel 33. Uh, I, okay. You know, I, I'm not sure what chapter that's in. Somewhere but, in Ezekiel. But, but that anyway. is Ezekiel, you know, yep. uh, yes. Uh, but um, in Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel is appointed by God to be a watchman. And I think it says something to the effect that when, you know, that when he sees the sword coming, he's supposed to warn the pe- people. You know, he's supposed to blow the horn, I think it says, or something like that, or the trumpet. Gabe, you know, Gabe's to... horn, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, can you play the horn? Uh, how's that? Well, actually, that's uh, very close. I think there's more to it, but that you, have the, you definitely have the right chord there. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you doing, Art? Pretty well. Good. Um, I just wanted to, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm, uh, I'm calling from uh, Whitewater, California, and uh, I had a little experience the other night. Well, actually, it was, <laughs> it was a long time ago, but uh, it was in a dream. I saw what appeared to be God carrying a sheep herder's like uh, staff. Really? Yeah, and uh, now, you know, the second caller in a row. What are the odds for that? Uh, yeah. He had a. I mean, he's been appointed as a, a watcher well, I slash. I was, I was. I'm not appointed as anything, but it was just kind of, uh, kind of. You know, at the time I was using, you know, I was using drugs and I drugs and I cleaned up, but uh, I think at the time I overdosed, and that was God bringing me back to life. You know, and uh, you know that was a, it was a vision that I had, and it was so real, and it, you know that it was so gentle and kind and loving. You know, and I just wanted to share that with you. Well, you know, most people, of course, are going to interpret that as a uh, side effect of the drugs you were taking. Yeah. And e- even you can't say for sure that it it might not have been. Either way, uh, whatever it was, if it got you off the stuff, then good. Yeah, and it did. All right. Well, congratulations and stay clean. On the international line, somewhere out over the country, uh, supposed to be anyway, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, me. You. Yes, great. Finally. Hey, Art. Uh, um, hi. Where, where are you calling from? Um, California. Oh, see, you're on my international line. What are you doing on that? Oh, sorry. Happy Easter. Bye. Um, okay, take care. You're not really allowed to do that. Uh, not a whole lot of time, but east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Going Hello? once. Yes, hi. Uh, I am. Uh, I was concerned about uh, not only the disappearance of the bees, but the disappearance of our senior citizens, especially single ones that have been victimized by their families uh, under the guise of of uh, helping and giving comfort and and uh, uh, taking the power of attorney and uh, and uh, taking their homes against their wishes. I've heard of that going on. I wish I had more time to devote to it, but we are dead 
right up against a break. So perhaps another time uh, you and I can have more of a discussion about that. Actually, it is a big problem in the country from the high desert. In a moment, we turn to Bigfoot with Todd Standing. There is never going to be another ABBA. My God, what a great group. All these years have gone by, and we've never had anything even close. All right, everybody, we're going to talk about Bigfoot coming right up. Todd Standing is a documentarian responsible for the website Chronicles and mini-documentary entitled Slavanic. That would be www.slavanic.com. And that's S-Y-L-V-A-N-I-C. For the past three years... He and his team have been struggling to prove one of the most controversial anthropological issues in the history of North America, the discovery of Bigfoot. Mr. Standing has developed a rapport with several native cultures and documented the uh, native legends and folklore associated with the Slavonic area. He's led several expeditions into the Slavonic region, has recorded three compelling pieces of video evidence on the animals that inhabit the area. This species has been mistakenly thought to have become extinct about 100,000 years ago, scientifically classified as Gigantopithecus, I guess it is, but more commonly referred to as, of course, Bigfoot. All of Todd's work is aimed at getting governmental legislated protection for this species before he proves their existence to all of us, the general public. So, in a moment, Todd Standing. Well, all right, Todd Standing, welcome to Coast to Coast AM. Thanks for having me. It's a, a pleasure to have you. I, it's a subject I really want to talk about. Before we get into it, during the uh, first hour... Todd, uh, some fellow called in. You may have been listening. Mm-hmm. Um, were you? Uh, no, I was not. No, you weren't. All right. Well, what he said was he watched uh, something apparently on your website. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, oh, it's it's going to be a fraud. It's going to be a big joke. Halfway through his video, it turns into something like the Blair Witch Project or something with people chasing through the jungle, and uh, I haven't seen it, Todd. I couldn't get in. Your website was very busy, so I have no idea what he was talking about. Do you? Um, no. Perhaps if he came to the uh, the premiere that I actually had the film in Edmonton, but if you saw something on my website, I don't really know. Uh, the, the video, too, that's on my website is, is just simply, uh, it's entirely a Bigfoot video. It's a Bigfoot uh, stands up and, and sits down is the video that's there to the public. So you're telling me there is uh, relatively clear footage of a Bigfoot on your website in video footage. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, CTV uh, took it and augmented it and brightened it right up and and brought it with, they put it through a big uh, AVID program. And what happened, they were trying to disprove me, obviously. And what happened was uh, back muscles came out and they saw an elbow. So, uh, you know, it's... uh, it's Now I really want to see it. I can't get on. It's all busy. I'm sorry, actually, it's, it's all your fault, actually. You guys put up my link, uh, Coast to Coast, and uh, my site's been... It's, it's been pretty... Uh, since I got my petition, uh, it's actually been certified uh, by the Canadian Clerk of Petitions, and the House of Commons in Canada is going to vote on the law in the I'm next uh, 30 days or so. I've been getting some, uh, some media and whatnot. I've been in a few newspapers, so... I see. Um, all right, what, what, how did all of this begin for you? Uh, I've talked to a lot of uh, Bigfoot investigators in my life, Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm curious how it began for you. Uh, well, I was always the the guy who said, you know, told any of my friends if you ever see uh, a demon or a ghost, give me a call because I know I went to university. I know Harvard and Princeton. They have even the Enquirer. They have million dollar rewards. 
for any proof of, of paranormal activity. And I always said, if you ever find something, give me a call because we'll be rich. And actually what happened was uh, three years ago, uh, a friend of mine was uh, going just for a hike in this Sylvanic area, and his dog was killed. And, you know, he's a, he's a friend of mine. We're not into paranormal stuff at all. And, uh, you know, I believe in science and what is definitive and what I can prove. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I just started investigating the region, and I started uh, working with First Nations people. And through my website, I found a biologist who was a, a Bigfoot expert. And, and I never said Bigfoot the first uh, year and a half of this. I, I didn't believe in Bigfoot. I had actually a hoax and mistaken identity theory that's on my website as well. And I, it, it seemed like a very sound, solid theory. And if you read it, it's something that it's almost hard for me to, to abandon. Because uh, about a year and a half ago, when I recorded video two and three in the Sylvanic region, I became a believer. I, it was, it's, it's not even the videos that are evidence enough. People can have videos. Anytime somebody has a video, it can always be a man in a suit. But it's everything else that I saw and witnessed that really uh, made me a believer. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, now, you mentioned the paranormal. Um, is Bigfoot, in your opinion, uh, in the paranormal realm, or is this a real creature? This is a real creature. It's actually, uh, my team and I refer to it as Gigantopithecus. It's a flesh and blood animal that really exists. And okay. uh, once, once I show people how simple it is to realize the possibility of it, people will understand, well, why didn't we believe this the whole time? Like, this is just, it's not even, it's not even some big mythical thing. It's just a, a species who just simply evades people, and they've, they've been around since, since man came to the continent, most likely. So Gigantopithecus, they actually have bones and fossils of that are in China and India of a, a giant uh, primate species that uh, they consider to be most closely uh, related to orangutans. And they just came across the Barren Straits when humans migrated here, and they've, they've been living here ever since. Well, there's a million questions uh, that I have about all of that. Um, I look forward to those questions. Okay. Well, one would obviously be you said they've evaded people. How have they done that? I mean, we are everywhere now. We fly. We've got satellites roaming the skies. We've got uh, we've got so very much out there that uh, it seems almost, especially something the size, the purported size of Bigfoot. How does it evade people? Well, first thing I would say is uh, when I took my little film on tour, I started meeting uh, people that just come out of the woodwork that have had sightings, and there really are thousands, possibly tens of thousands, that have people that have sightings every year. But from my knowledge, and precisely what I see is, I, and, and I'll say first and foremost, I only have knowledge of what I consider to be Rocky Mountain Bigfoot. Whether they live in swamps or prairies and that kind of thing, I don't know how they would evade people if they live in those kind of areas. But in the mountains, simply they, they're nocturnal, they, uh, they're active at night, and during the day when the main group sleeps, they have uh, day watchers or sentinels as we call them that triangulate themselves in high vantage points in the mountains. And simply when people come walking towards them, they see them, they go and alert the main group, and they move away. It's just, it, 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 it's certainly going to be more complicated than that, but even let's say they have a sensory perception that's just as simple as, uh, we know snakes can see thermal heat, from a dis- and let's say they can see thermal at a distance of two kilometers. So if you can see thermal at a distance of two kilometers, you have a vantage point, you, are, you want to evade people, no one's ever going to get close to a species like that, ever. And at least I wouldn't think so anyways. And, and, again, I have to assess, too, my videos that I've shot, they weren't some fluke. We went into the woods and, you know, boom, there was Bigfoot. We had to really work very hard to, to counteract their evasive strategies they used to, to get these animals on film. It was how, did you, how did you do that uh, as a matter of interest? Uh, well, initially, we, since we went on several expeditions, what we did is we, we figured out precisely where uh, at least two of the day watchers positioned themselves. And then what we did is we just kind of uh, devised a counter strategy to get in behind a day watcher 
then uh-huh. when the day watcher went back, by the time they were alerted to our presence, when the day watcher goes back to alert the main group, we would catch him running by. We actually never got close enough to, to view a main group. So Okay, well, that, that implies uh, a very... Uh Fairly high level of intelligence. In other words, they post uh, watchers, day watchers, you said, and I assume they have night watchers as well. Uh, well, actually, at night, I, I just have no idea. I didn't have the technology, the, the thermal gear and whatnot, or even the, the night uh, vision gear when we went on our expeditions. So, uh, at, But at night, I just, okay. I just felt like they were just around and the whole group was moving and whatnot. So. Oh, no, that's fair. All right, so you, you're only tell, telling me what you actually know about, but they have day watchers, so that means they have a level of uh, fairly sophisticated organization and, and social uh, structure. And, but that, that, that question has been brought up to me many times, and actually I've seen even, there are examples of just birds. Birds, when you approach a nest, a bird will come and tweet at you and, and get you to follow it to get you away from the nest. Well, that doesn't necessarily... True. It's, that's not intelligent, right? It seems like a very smart thing to do, but it's just a bird, and he's just, that's just what he does to survive, and it's not really... I, I have other, other empirical pieces of evidence that are, that are in my work that show intelligence and, and bring it up to a theory of mind, which is only allocated to human beings over four years old. And I believe uh, the, the whole primate personhood uh, issue, uh, when applied to Bigfoot, would, I think they would actually satisfy the criteria for theory of mind, which is only, to date been satisfied by human beings over four years old so mm-hmm. it's, it's very exciting all the, the research all right so you're saying you believe they are an intelligent species yes absolutely mm-hmm. to, to say uh, as intelligent as possibly uh, somebody maybe five or six years old at this point my knowledge okay. of them is is so superficial though when people ask me what they eat and and what they do in groups and if they're a rogue male i, I don't have any knowledge of anything like that and that's the research that i'm working for that needs to be done so that's what okay. our goal is, is to get all those kind of... I want to take Bigfoot out of the world of the paranormal and make it a reality, make it a real primate that really exists and, and is properly studied ethically. All right. Do you have any clue about why they are so evasive uh, and don't want any contact with uh, human beings? Uh, well, if you look at what we've done to this continent in the past 200 years, I think the answer becomes uh, pretty obvious. I mean, we've entire, there used to be 200 million bison that roamed around this continent. And, and when railroads were built, right. you know, people used to go by and just execute bison for absolutely no reason. I, no, that's I, right. I, I think, I think as, as human beings, I mean, I would view us as just horrible serial killers. We haven't even, like with the First Nations people who, who have had a relationship with these animals and have had knowledge of them, we never even, most of us never really even developed a rapport with them to bridge the gap between uh, us civilized people and these animals that are, this, uh, as the natives referred to them, boss or or a wild master of the wilderness. So, mm-hmm. um, All right, well, have the First Nations people, the Native Americans, as it were, uh, been able to give you their version of what they think the social structure and capabilities of Bigfoot are? I think, uh, for the most part, most of the First Nations people that I've dealt with, they have a very highly uh, reverent uh, spirituality associated with these species. And I think that they've, they've just known well enough to that these animals are the boss, they are the wilderness master, and we just uh, keep our distance. We allow them their space, and they give us our space, and we coexist that way peacefully. So there's a spiritual connection, but I really don't have uh, significant knowledge of that at this point. So, Okay. Um, there is a professor. Now, I, I, perhaps I, I should back up a little bit. You, you're uh, uh, responsible, I guess, for legislation in Canada that would, do, that would do exactly what, Todd? 
Uh, well, it would just get species protection for them. The first thing, I, I guess I have to back up a little bit. The first thing I ever did when I came back with this evidence and I believed the species was real is I went to forestry officers and I went to scientists because I knew I had to keep my research site confidential because people will go out there and kill these animals. They're worth millions. So I went to forestry officers. I went to government legislated bodies, and, and they will do nothing to assist you. They can't because a forestry officer is like a police officer, and a police officer can't give you a ticket for wearing a seatbelt unless there's a seatbelt law. And that's exactly the way forestry, because that's, that's who I ideally would like to do this with. They're forestry officers that have helicopters and thermal gear and the ability to do this, and they will do absolutely nothing to assist me. So once there's government legislative protection for the species, they have to do something because it's now law. And once I can get them behind me, I mean, things will just start flowing like there's no tomorrow. But I, I want the forestry officers to help me prove these animals exist. And okay. Well, well um, let me ask you this. I have not yet seen your video, but if I were to be uh, able to see your video, Todd, mm -hmm. would it be uh, conclusive evidence that this really is a creature? Now, well, no, I guess no video would be conclusive evidence, but would I come away convinced that I'm, I'm looking at a real creature and not a guy in a suit? Uh, when you actually, uh, when all the evidence comes out about my video three, which I haven't released yet, yeah, yes. you believe because now what's actually happened is there we have this whole scientific body called kinetics, kineticists, who are experts on the physics of motion and what it takes, you know, how many newtons of force it takes to move a certain distance. Mm -hmm. I had a kineticist analyze my video three. And every time, again, when you watch a video, it's a man in a suit or it's a new species of primate because there's no other animal on the, on the planet besides humans that are truly bipedal. Everything else is, is a form of quadruped, uh, even gorillas or knuckle walkers. So when you watch this video, just as a layman, you'll look at it and you'll say, okay, that's obviously a bipedal animal. It's running on two feet. Well, this kineticist, when he first saw my, saw my information, he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll analyze this man. When he came back, he said, that's not a man. And I said, well, what, what do you know? He said, well, because in my analysis, the fastest man on the planet could not have done that in 24 seconds, and I just saw that animal do it in 17 seconds. So he phoned Fava, who had my video analyzed, and they said, that's raw footage. There's nothing, no augmentation of any kind. Mm -hmm. If that's raw footage... If that is a man in a suit, it, he ran it faster than the fastest man on the planet could have. Therefore, it takes out the whole man in a suit thing, which you would think is very exciting and just yeah. great information. But to yes. me, I'm, I'm beyond that. Like, I'm, I'm looking for a new domicile. I'm going to go shoot another video. I'm going to get more physical evidence. I'm going to get protection for the species. I need scientists involved to assist me in different areas of their specialty fields. And I'm just going to keep going forward with this. Video three is significant evidence and once i get a kineticist to come forward and speak in my documentary that'll be very significant and all right exciting. video three is not public yet right no and and the reason i i've kept that uh to myself is because my website has generated virtually no petition signatures maybe a hundred when i go and have a showing people come out to watch video three and when they come out they sign my petition and i've got thousands of signatures to that effect and even still, beyond that, I, I'm also able to uh, generate uh, revenue for local uh, humane societies, local animal rights activists, and I give all the proceeds to them. So I, I really, I really if, if anybody's going to profit from the Bigfoot video, in my opinion, I want it to be the species themselves. And that's why I've kept the video for that reason. So, hmm. so you say when people do see Video 3, and, and in what venue do you make that possible? Uh, I just go to, to little theaters in, in cities, uh, wherever anybody will let me play. And oh. uh, yeah, even uh, actually, I got accepted into a film festival. But uh, when I told them I wanted to do my petition there, they said no petition. I said, well, no petition, no film. And they said, okay, well, you can't come to the film festival. Got it. There's no, there's no reason for me. I'm not about filmmaking. I'm not about uh, getting notoriety and famous. I'm about getting protection for the species and proving they exist. If they're not going to assist me in that plight, 
then there's no point in me going there. So, well, is video three sufficiently compelling with the um, uh, with the testimony, for example, of the the man who examined it, as you just explained, mm-hmm. to get this legislation through? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, you have to ask the the politicians. The politicians at this point are not uh, very agreeable to to concur with my findings at this point. So what what my next goal is, if I can't get petitioned at this point, is I'm going to go, when I locate a new domicile, I'm going to go with a a very skeptical Nobel Prize winning anthropologist. I'm going to take a big uh, name media guy, someone from CNN and BC or CTV with me, someone who doesn't believe in Bigfoot. Uh, They'll watch as I shoot another video in high definition this time, and they'll watch me gather whatever physical evidence I can. And when I come back and this... Nobel Prize winning anthropologist says, I believe, I saw this guy do everything he did. And when mm-hmm. this news anchor from a television network comes to me and says, I believe too, because when they see what I've seen, they'll believe. And with that evidence, I expect with that kind of notoriety, I will get protection for the species. Mm-hmm. So you, you have no doubt in your mind that you can take a high-definition uh, camcorder mm-hmm. um, back into the woods, you know where to go and how to do it, and you can get some high-definition video and bring it back. Absolutely. Well, I, I can get within 50 yards of one of these animals, absolutely. And with a professional videographer and proper gear, even if I had thermal gear, I, I don't even, it would be amazing what I could do with thermal gear. I'd be really excited. But thermal gear is $50,000 to take that stuff with you. And night vision, when these animals are moving around at night, I would be very excited. I would love to do all that stuff. And that's kind of what my goal is, is to get that kind of uh, uh, networking ability and, and do all those kind of things. Well, I would think that uh, clear daytime high-definition video would be better than anything in the thermal realm you could possibly get, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But, I mean, uh, for, for our own uh, analysis and our own understanding of the species, thermal gear would help us understand what they're doing at night and, and if they are actually coming around and, and, and how they are, are manipulating and doing things. But the HD would absolutely be. And, and I wouldn't come back unless I had that. So, and I absolutely need that evidence. And, I, I understand and, that and you absolutely know how to go back and get it. Absolutely. Well, right now, uh, the domicile that I had, the Sylvanic region, has been yes. infiltrated. Uh, Bigfoot, kill crazy oh. people have discovered it. They've gone in with guns. I believe, oh. I believe I've entirely lost that domicile. However, with that being said, I have enough knowledge to identify another domicile. And that's what I'm looking for right now. Or that's what my team and I are searching for right now. And as soon as we have that new domicile, we'll keep this secret. We won't make the same mistakes we did before. And we'll go in and we'll ethically go in and not disturb these animals. We'll just get our video evidence, take only photographs, leave only footprints kind of thing, come back, use that to get protection for the species. And, and these animals are not immortal. They live and die like anything else. With the proper time and the ethical studies, we can actually find a body that's died of natural causes. Eventually, I will get a body. And I'll come back with the body, and then, you know, we can go through the whole scientific process properly without having killed one of these animals. Well, that's another question. Why have we never found a body? Um, I, I, I would probably allocate that likely to a very uh, a significantly decreasing population. Even, even the, uh, the fossil records of Gigantopithecus, they only have, they have very limited fossil records, and these animals have been around for arguably six million years. All right, Don, listen, hold it right there. We're at a break point. Um, we've got plenty of time to explore this at our leisure, and you sound like somebody who knows what he's talking about. Todd Standing is my guest. We're talking about Bigfoot, and he's got a lot of new stuff in this area. I'm Art Bell. My guest is Todd Standing. We're talking about Bigfoot. Now, in all the years I've done interviews with Bigfoot investigators, and one very special interview with a man who claimed he'd killed a couple. 
I have come to believe that probably they do exist, apparently in very small numbers, but I think there's uh, very good evidence, uh, very good evidence, actually, they do exist. Not impeccable evidence, but very good evidence. We'll continue with Todd in a moment. Just one, just one echo from the first hour, which is what I was about to say when my board op started World War III. Um... Kevin in Topeka, Kansas, uh, referring to a couple of the callers in the first hour, said, why does God only talk to wackos? And I thought about that. And, Kevin, uh, you might want to consider at the same time why everybody who claims to talk to God is automatically branded a wacko. I mean, what if God is chatting every now and then with somebody or another? We automatically uh, brand them all as wacko. If they talk to God, they're wackos, right? Be careful about that kind of stuff. All right, back now to Todd Standing. Uh, Todd, uh, how many of these creatures do you think are still on Earth? I I know that's asking for a big, giant guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like to say just I have absolutely no idea. I, I've uh, I discovered one domicile. I never got past the day watchers. Never got even the ability to to count how many were in the main group. So okay. I, I may I may have uh, experienced the last domicile on Earth. For all I know, I just have absolutely no idea. Even to to calculate from from the amount of sightings that are that are going on, it's just impossible. There's all right. There's no, been... that's a really good, honest answer, uh, Todd. The domicile, as you call it. Um, you found it, uh, and you found it in this area that you made, apparently, now to your own sorrow, uh, public. Uh, what did the domicile consist of? Uh, even though you didn't get a Bigfoot, uh, you did get some video. What was the domicile like? Uh, extremely remote, just almost inaccessible. Uh, it was beautiful. It was almost like uh, going into uh, just. It, it felt totally untouched by man. Even even something I talked about a lot was uh, just the the species of deer that were there. They just uh, they weren't fearful of us, which normally deer have a, a, a flee. They flee from you with if you were anywhere right. with near any distance of them. Sure. And uh, it was just it was a beautiful place. It was actually it felt like there was electricity in there. It felt like a very positive, good place. And it it just uh, it's. It's upset everybody involved, including the First Nations people, that this place has been so uh, so violated like it has. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now, the domicile, was it simply an area of woods, or was there any construct to it at all? Uh, it was uh, initially, I, I was under the impression that it was entirely encircled by an unbroken chain of mountains with only a few entrance points, which is actually not the case. There are several places you can get into, but the point was that there is a, a chain of mountains virtually all the way around it in different directions. And uh, the terrain to get into it is just extremely difficult. Basically, now that the, uh, the entranceway, there was a, a path under a mountain that, uh, that I have uh, listed on my website as well that used to be able to get into. Well, that's all caved in now. So the only way, uh, really accessible way to get in without going way out of your way or helicoptering in is to rock climb in. So, uh, after okay, but I guess what I'm asking is, was there any evidence uh, left behind of their presence? Were there... Crude tools? Were there footprints? Uh, were there uh, any evidence of, uh, I, I don't know, food consumption or anything else you would look for in an area, for example, where somebody had been camping? Actually, uh, yeah, there was uh, uh, 
a shelter, a Bigfoot shelter. There were a couple of things that we uh-huh. saw that were significant. Uh, other things I, I can't really reveal because they revealed that this is a Bigfoot domicile and somebody coming along would identify that as a possible domicile. But uh, on the, I sent you a press book and an interactive CD with a, a ton of information on it, and you'll see in there there's some photographs of a, of a shelter that were very significant to me because what happened was some animal took a big tree, bent it, and shoved it underneath a log and then piled up you know, branches on it. Now, my crew and I were there, and we're looking at this log, and it's, you know, the three of us couldn't budget. And the tree that was bent over, I mean, it, was, it had a base diameter of about eight inches. So to grab this tree and bend it and shove it under a log, right. it just doesn't happen naturally. And, and for, it would have taken a group of ten men to lift that log. So it was, uh, it was significant evidence to me. So. All right. Uh, what about, um, I mean, if, the, if this is where they lived, then mm-hmm. one would expect to find some evidence, footprints perhaps, um, mm-hmm. Leavens, as it were? In the Rocky Mountains, uh, it's, it's rock everywhere. And uh, there are patches of earth here and there in the grounds. Even there, there are trails, uh, natural game trails, but those trails are significantly worn in. You're not going to even get you know, any kind of prints out of something like that, especially because uh, Bigfoot is, you know, has a big, huge foot. He's not hooved. He doesn't make those little indentations in it. But when, when I was doing my research there at the time, our goal was to get video evidence because we were presenting that to uh, a tranquilizer gun expert, uh, an actual person who was uh, retired, uh, a forestry officer. And he said, if you can prove to me that you can repeatedly get within 50 yards of one of these animals, I'll go back with you and I'll tranquilize one. And that was our goal, and that's entirely what we were focused on. And when we were there, too, the reality of it is it rains a lot in the mountains. So you're looking for other kinds of evidence, and you're dealing with weather, and you're trying to survive because you know, it takes a tremendous amount of effort to get out there. You're with food and and it's, it's, it's terrifying as well, especially at night when these animals are active and, and you realize these are unpredictable species you know nothing about. So uh, we really focused on getting our, our, our video proof just to show the tranquilizer expert, and, and that's what we came back with. So for us, it was a success just to even have that much. Todd, if you got too close, do you feel that there's any danger to you or your crew? Absolutely. If, if, you, if you did anything, if you were to go and tranquilize one of these animals, Animals don't see tranquilizer. They don't know the difference between a tranquilizer gun and a regular gun. And if you drop one of their own kind in a community of animals that, that are, are peaceful mm-hmm. and are harmonious, but they will defend themselves if they're attacked. If you go and throw a net over one of these animals, other animals are going to come out of the woodwork. And again, peaceful animals, but if you attack them, if you're trying to, to steal them away and put them into slavery, into a zoo, they're going to violently defend themselves like any animal would do. And that's something else I'd like to tell the people is don't try to do that. Don't try to tranquilize one of them. Because as the First Nations people put it, uh, you'd, be take, you'd take your last breath. You're taking on an animal who's very familiar with its habitat, who is a master of the wilderness, who is twice the size of a gorilla and probably twice as strong. And you go and you tranquilize one of those animals, and I'm telling people they live in communities like virtually all primates do. They evade people in communities. If you tranquilize or you try to harm one of these animals, which has probably happened in the past, if you actually know about the Ape Canyon story, you go to kill one of these animals, they will come back and they will defend themselves. The Ape Canyon story? Uh, No, I don't know about that. Uh, It's just someone claims to have shot a Bigfoot, and uh, when he went to claim the body, other animals came and scared him off, and then when he went back to a cabin, he was allegedly bombarded with stones all night long. And people go back there and, and look at the area and whatnot, but... This is just one of the... St- I believe if, if you actually tried to, to do something to an animal like this, it, it would absolutely annihilate you. And that's something that we were very aware of, is when we were there in their domicile, we felt dominated at all times. Well, Todd, I have heard a number of stories uh, of people 
uh, yeah, uh, having, you know, it, uh, being under attack, uh, stones thrown and terrorized during the night, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm, absolutely. But most likely in those cases, I, in my experience, I would say that they, they had done something to provoke the animals because I was in a domicile, and although they were prevalent in the area, they did nothing to harm me. I was in their home, in their habitat, and they did absolutely nothing. They acted in no way violent towards me, and they could have. If they, could have, if they would have perceived me pointing a camera at them as a gun, they could have injured me, and they, that never happened. They never attacked or harmed me or my crew in any way. For how long were you in their presence? Um, we only actually made it into the domicile the day that we shot the, uh, the videos, two and three. We were only there for three days. So it's a tremendous hike in. We ran out of food and just left uh, and made it back to civilization as, as soon as we could. So. But, mm-hmm. but we always knew that we hadn't given up the domicile, that, that nobody knew about the place, and that it would be our research site. Okay. Uh, how, how, did the, uh, Todd, how did the word uh, get out about where the domicile was? On my, before I acquired a good team that I that uh, thoroughly trusted, there was a gentleman who helped me shoot uh, video one. And when I came back with that video evidence, uh, it became the Bigfoot community said, hey, do you think you saw Bigfoot? And I had said, no, I didn't even have my, that's my video, video one, and you won't see it on my website because he took this video and he sold it. Some, uh, you know, some big money guy came in and said, hey, I think you found Bigfoot. I'll give you whatever amount of money if you take me to the domicile. And that's precisely what happened is he went back there and, you know, if you go back there with guns too, these animals are just going to leave because these people are ignorant. They have no idea how these animals are evading you, and, and, and that's their whole structure is based on evading people. So if you go in there with guns, they're just going to leave, and they're not going to come back. And I believe that that's just that domicile has been lost to them, which is also very disheartening because it's out in the middle of nowhere. Why can't we give them that space? No, we have to go out there with guns and try to kill them because it's worth millions and the fame and the notoriety. Yeah, and so the word got out, and then I, I take it uh, many people made the trek to the domicile. Is that correct? Yeah, well, and. Absolutely, and even uh, I've, I've heard from forestry officers, they've asked me not to reveal the location because they just got the area under control because they had different groups of people out there with guns looking for something bipedal, which humans are. So out there in camouflage, different peeps of pe- people shooting at each other, it was just a, a big mess. So yeah. and even beyond that, other speculation and, and events that have possibly transpired out there that are really just, I just kind of have to go on with my next thing and, and, and learn from all the mistakes that were made and make sure they don't happen again. So, All right. Well, listen, Todd, you're, you're now talking to uh, millions of people across North America and certainly across Canada, all of Canada. <laughs> so uh, you're in a position now to give people advice. If they come upon a Bigfoot uh, domicile or a mm-hmm. Bigfoot creature, mm-hmm. how, wh- what do you advise them? Um, count your blessings. I mean, uh, just really, really try to figure out precisely how you got into this situation, because this is the most evasive animal on the planet. What did you do, or what uh, strange circumstance has transpired to give you that sort of opportunity? And, and, and don't be afraid. Uh, even the, the First Nations people have told me there's, there's a reason when you have these kind of confrontations or something happens. Don't be afraid. Uh, just, just, just enjoy the experience. For God's sake, don't start shooting at them, because even, even if it is a man in a costume and this whole thing's been a hoax, if you kill somebody, it's murder. If you're hallucinating, you know, and you're having, you just had a, you have a high fever and you think you see Bigfoot, don't shoot at it. It could be a human being. But if it really is Bigfoot, enjoy the experience. Remember your surroundings. Remember everything that happened. Uh, if, if you had a funny feeling, if the hair stood up on the back of your neck, what you smelled. And, and just, uh, just write all that stuff down. Write down as much information as you can. And uh, report it to me, please. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, what about just, safety information? I mean, is there anything they ought not do? Um, I other really, than not shoot at it. Just uh, you, remember, you're, you, you are, you're a civilized person. You're out of your element. You're in the wilderness. Just, uh, just don't do anything aggressive. Don't, don't try to assault anything. Uh, maybe, maybe even if, you're, if, if, if an animal is, is charging at you, I've heard of, just leave the area. Don't go back there. Because there's perhaps it's uh, there's a female giving birth, or there's there's something special about the area, or I don't know what it could. You could be dealing with a homicidal big bigfoot. We have homicidal human beings, right? So uh, it, basically, the bottom line is it, it's like confronting a grizzly bear. If if that animal decides, it basically decides whether you live or die, and all you can just do is uh, just hope for the best. And well, you know, obviously, if if a bigfoot uh, and they are big is is coming after you, y- y- if you have a gun. If you don't have a gun, you're going to die, as you just yep. mentioned. Uh, if it yep, wants absolutely. to kill you, you're going to be dead. If you've got a gun, then you're going to have to defend, defend yourself. yourself. Absolutely, defend yourself. I mean, I'm wholeheartedly behind that. If, if you know, you got to defend. You don't die. Uh, defend yourself. And uh, if you if you do have a body, you know, uh, report it to to science. You know, let's let's make this legitimate. If if that accident ever occurs or some situation transpires where one has to be killed, let's take the body. Let's prove it to science. Once we have a body, I can get protection for the species because obviously they exist. And then I can make my findings public. Something that you mentioned in the beginning of the show was I wasn't going to reveal my findings until uh, there was protection. But I, I would reveal my findings if I found a body. I mean, that's something I'm looking for. But worst case scenario, I, I know what I can do. I know I can get within 50 yards. I know I can get their video evidence. And I can make my findings public once there's protection for the species. Anything else would be totally irresponsible. I mean, as you can imagine, Art, people are, you know, this is, this is like treasure. Killing one of these animals would make you famous and rich overnight. And uh, there's, there's absolutely no protection for them. If you, you, could, you, could take a, you could assassinate a whole domicile, and there'd be no ramifications whatsoever. You could drive right across the American-Canadian border having these animals hung upside down, and nobody could do anything, because as far as they're concerned, those animals don't exist. All right, and let me tell you a little story, and, and you can tell me how you react to it. Um, a number of years ago, Todd, I interviewed a man down in, I think, Texas. Mm-hmm. And he claimed that he shot two Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, it, it, it was a hell of a story. He, he ended up burying these two uh, Bigfoot near a stream, uh, close to a stream. Yeah. And he was prepared, Todd, to actually take me to the bodies and we entered into very, very serious negotiations about this. He actually had a map uh, so he could get back to where they were buried. And we entered into negotiations. Now, he went to an attorney, uh, and he spoke to his wife. And uh, at, at the end of the day, it's a long story, but at the end of the day, Todd, uh, he decided not to take me. I believed every word he said. I still, to this very day, believe every word he said. He didn't take me to the bodies, Todd, because he was afraid uh, of one of two things. One, that um, uh, that he would be charged with murder. Um, he he was absolutely convinced they were Bigfoot. They were not humans. They were Bigfoot. Uh, but... Um, but there was this edge of serious concern, and in the end, his wife uh, uh, talked him out of doing it because he really did feel that he would be charged with some kind of crime, mm. and I suppose that is possible, uh, or would you argue with that? No, I would argue with that strongly. There's no, uh, 
if you talk to any, even a forestry officer in the United States told me, he said, you know, there, there are species of animal that you're allowed to kill. You're allowed to kill uh, crows, for example. He said, I, as a forestry officer, would sit there and watch you execute crows all day. And those are a species that are proven and known to exist. He said, if you kill, you, somebody could walk by with a truck full of Bigfoot, I just have to shake his hand and tell him to be on his way. Unless there's some sort of uh, biological concern. Uh, other than that, there's absolutely nothing. This is not a species that's proven to exist, and there can be no legal ramifications whatsoever. And I know this because I've fought to get forestry officers to help me. And I've been to every branch in Canada and the U.S., and I've talked to these people, and they say there's nothing we can do because they don't exist. Nothing. It's, it's, it's in fact... That's kind of the sorry state of things is that the discovery of this species is entirely up to private citizens. No branch of government will do anything to assist you, and, except, of course, uh, a branch of government that, that wants it for whatever reasons, because yeah. it would have a super soldier or some sensory perception that they might have. But there's really nothing but private citizens to make this discovery. That's why it's up to people like, like me to do this. I, All right, you're probably aware of, I can't think of his name, but there is a professor at a university in Washington Yep. Who yeah, I... is urging that uh, that somebody shoot and kill a Bigfoot so that we can do exactly what you want to do? Mm. Yeah, then, then he doesn't want any others killed. He just wants one body. Mm. And I, I would, you know what? Just that would just be such a scary situation because because of my knowledge of them being so uh, socially orientated. I think if you killed one of these animals, I don't think you would survive. I think people have tried to kill one of these animals. I've heard stories, and I actually have documentation about people that have even either tried to or killed one of these animals, and they don't survive, period. You're risking your life. It's just like, it, it would be like uh, the First Nations people explained it. It's like killing a grizzly bear cub. What are you going to do except when ten moms come back? They've evaded people in social groups, this much I'm certain of and they will stand together in a social group. If you go out and you try to kill one of these animals, which has probably been done before, you will not survive, period. I, can you, you've seen the, like, uh, gorillas in the mist where uh, those, they have those gorillas come charging at you. They do their bluff charges. Yes. Can you imagine an animal two to three times that size, two to three times as powerful, and a group of them coming at you? I, I don't want to be there when that happens. And I'm telling people that's what's going to happen to you. This is a species that survives in social groups. Go ahead, try to kill one, see what happens to you. And that's, do, you think and they, that's, do, do you think they bury their own dead, Todd? Um, just, uh, just really not sure at all. I think, you know what, I think if somebody came across remains of, of a Bigfoot, they wouldn't know what to do with it anyways. Unless you're a primatologist or you have some thorough knowledge of anatomy, you could come across a leg bone and just think it's from a, an elk. You know, and people, somebody could have one of these bones in their house and not even know it. So I have, I have forestry officers that have come across stuff and they didn't know what the heck it was. So, but even, even besides that, when you talk about bones, Dr. Grover Krantz, who was a Bigfoot expert, did his own mm -hmm. little survey for the decades of studies that he did. He asked hunters, how many bear bones have you seen? How many cougar bones have you seen? And he came up with zero. And I've been doing that study myself. I've never met anybody who's seen uh, bear bones or cougar bones out in the wilderness because, I mean, we have porcupines out there. We have this ecosystem that consumes everything. And that's just the likely answer for that. So. That's a, actually a very good point. All right, Todd, hold tight. Uh, we're at the top of the hour. You can take a little bit of a break. Todd's standing, obviously, very, very serious about his work. Now, he's got some video, some very serious video, video three, for example, that uh, fairly conclusively proves the existence of Bigfoot. And those who see it get an opportunity to sign a petition. We'll talk more about that and Bigfoot in a moment. Here I am. Todd standing is my guest. He 
is actually, in my opinion, quite convincing. He's a, I guess it's fair to say he's a Bigfoot researcher. He's out to, uh, to prove they exist and get legislation in place to protect them. And certainly all of that makes sense. We're continuing to explore what I consider to be a real... I, I really do believe that these creatures, somewhere, I suppose, between ape and man, smartly hiding from man, continue, albeit in small numbers, to exist. I do believe they're out there. Back to it in a moment. Well, all right, Todd, again, let's uh, roll over this. Uh, you have some pretty conclusive uh, video evidence already. Video number three. Um, so at this point, why not, uh, to strengthen your case, make video number three public? Um, because I, I don't want the, uh, the media to profit by it. I want the species to profit by it. And I, I don't want to be a, a, a flash-in-the-pan kind of guy that just, you know, is the, the video of the week. I want to – people are really interested in Bigfoot. If this is a real thing for them, they can come out when I bring my film to their – city if I can, and they can view it that way. And again, I get my sig- I, I'm only going to use this Bigfoot video to get protection for Bigfoot. That's it. That's all I'll use it for. Because when you give it to the media, they're going to profit by it. People are going to be watching their shows and, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, and the only people, the only species that I want to profit from this video is Bigfoot. Well, all right, and, and- uh, but, but conceivably, if it's that good, you could mm-hmm. offer it uh, to, oh gosh, I don't know, um, some kind of program. Shirley would be willing to pay you a great deal of money for it, and you could take that money and, I suppose, put it into some sort of Bigfoot foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and I've, I've considered that. I just, I just believe that what I'm doing at the present time is the best course of action. So I've, been, I've already had the, the offers and, and the money. But usually, unfortunately, it's, it's uh, journalists without sort of any integral reputation that are offering me money and you put me on one of those kind of shows and I'm going to be one of those kind of guys, you know, and yeah. uh, I just, I just don't want to do that. I'm trying. Well, I mean, you're, you're right about being kind of, you know, the video of the moment, the headline of the day or whatever with a little <laughs> chuckle at the end and then, then it'd be gone. Uh, just one more, one more Bigfoot video. But, but on, like- on the other hand though, you do say that you've got uh, you've got people willing to testify that, uh, you know, what they're seeing is a real thing, that a man could not, a man in a suit couldn't do what you've got on video. Actually, I've, I've been, I've, I've had those interviews with people, but now I've, what I've learned about documentary filmmaking is nobody's willing to actually appear on camera and be part of the documentary. This kineticist has tenure with the post-secondary institution. So for him mm-hmm. to come and speak in my documentary, I have to get permission from this post-secondary institution. And uh-huh. they refuse to be affiliated with, Santa Claus uh-huh. or the Easter Bunny or Bigfoot. Okay. And uh, it's been tremendously difficult, even for me to get forestry officers who have very prudent information to speak in my documentary. They can't because they'll lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. And uh, it becomes this whole other issue that I have to deal with, and it's, it's, it's made things very, very difficult for me. So if, if yeah, there's I a geneticist out there who is willing to come forward, and, and not, I'll come and show you the video if you're willing to, to buck up and come on my documentary. And okay. something that I've already told people as well is, I'm not about legal agreements. If you don't want to be, if, if I film you and put you in my documentary and you don't like it, I'll take you out. I'm not going to hold you to anything. I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm just kind of operating on that kind of integrity. No, right, that's fair that. enough. Uh, that's, so. that's definitely fair enough. And you may well find someone tonight. And by the way, if you, um, if there is somebody like that listening and they need <laughs> to contact you, how would they do that, Todd? Uh, just to the website. I have a, a contact me thing and I go through every single piece of email. 
So well, maybe you should actually give out. Uh, are you willing to give out your email address? As I mentioned, your website is really clogged up. It's uh, it's it's Sylvanic underscore com at hotmail dot com. Uh, do that again and spell it out. S y l v a n i c underscore com at hotmail dot com. Okay. All right. Good enough. Uh, now. Uh, I know my website's really just totally getting over. I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, my videos are also available on Rever.com, R-E-V-V-E-R.com. Oh. And, uh, and I think that's about it, actually. But Rever plays them. so And they usually don't get They're used to this kind of, they're almost like a YouTube. They're used to okay. this kind of volume. So. Okay. Um, let's explore some other areas. Uh, for example, where do you think... Uh, do you have any thoughts on where Bigfoot came from? Is is it an evolved form, a missing link, a uh, sort of in between an ape and man, or something completely separate? What do you think? Uh, completely separate, Gigantopithecus, uh, which is a, a very well known and somewhat documented species. Uh, it has uh, it's it's closely related to uh, the Pango genome, which is uh, closely related to the orangutans. Again, currently scientifically classified as that. And uh, they even have uh, to the point where they actually have a very good idea of what the species, when it existed in China, ate, because they've taken, uh, uh, they've scoped the molars that they found, and they found that uh, bamboo and fruits and nuts have been associated with those molars. So uh, really, but even though science will say the species exists, it's really almost laughable that they're saying this primate species existed when they have nothing more than teeth and a lower jawbone. They don't have an upper jawbone. They don't have a skull. They don't have a leg. They don't have anything. They have no feet, no back, no spine, no nothing. Only teeth and jawbones. Even the one that's uh, the famous, uh, there's a famous photograph of Gigantopithecus. They extrapolate all that information from teeth and a lower jawbone. Mm. So, but with that being said, science has enough uh, knowledge about uh, primatology where they can deduce that the species was significantly bigger than gorillas. And, uh, you know, they actually existed, that it is a primate. And uh, you just look up, it's Gigantopithecus, specifically uh, Gigantopithecus blackie and Gigantopithecus Gigantopithecus, which was in India. And I just, it actually is, is uh, it's comical to me to think that, like, they'll say, okay, this species, it couldn't have survived because they ate the same food as a panda or a gorilla. Well, pandas are still alive. Why do you think this species would be extinct? Oh, because it was a primate. Well, primates are more adept at surviving than, than bears are, significantly. Certainly. Pandas don't have camouflage. They, they actually, without bamboo, they die. When you talk about gorillas, they, they have the ability to, to eat more kinds of food and vegetation. They have hands and they can dig. They're just far more adept to survive, especially since they almost always live in communities. So, you know, pandas survived. Why can't Gigantopithecus? Well, and then people say, well, there's no, you know... They couldn't possibly exist because we'd know about it. They find five new species of primate every year. I, I was all stunned uh, about four years ago when they found this new species of primate, and then I talked to a biologist, and he said, they find new species of primate like five, six a year. So the giant squid was a myth until, what, six months ago? That's right. And, and, and no, you know, the sightings of giant squids were rare, far and few between. When you talk about Bigfoot, there are thousands of sightings reported every year, and I'll tell you, mm-hmm. the majority of people... They don't even report a sighting. And, and they, they talk about the, the quote-unquote wackos, I hate using that term, that report this. The heck with that. There are doctors, lawyers, judges. There's an ex-president of the United States that believed this species existed. These aren't wackos unless, you know, it just, these are real people, credible human beings, that there's no chance.
chance they saw a bear or an elk or whatever you could... They weren't hallucinating. These are real people that have had real sightings and mostly uh, likely not to come forward because, you know, you get ostracized from the community when you come forward and you say, hey, I saw Bigfoot, and everybody thinks you're crazy after that. Of course. They, they label you the wacko. And I have, I have that uh, coming into my documentary right away. A group of gentlemen who were respected in the community, and after they came forward with their Bigfoot sighting, they were ostracized entirely. And this is, you know, people who loved their community and really uh, respected the fact that they, were, they had friends and, and, and family and deep roots in that community. They were ostracized. It was, uh, it was, it was sad, but that's the reality of, of the way uh, we are socially at times. So. Well, that's difficult for you because you're giving out advice that, you know, on the one hand you're saying... Um uh, by all means, uh, proceed and get everything out of the experience you can and report it. Uh, but well, then on the other hand, you're saying don't report it. Uh, <laughs> well, report it, report it, report it to Bigfoot websites, people that are already believers. Report, and that's actually the only way you can report it anyway. If you phone the forestry office, they'll hang up on you. If you call a radio station or media, if there's something bigger going on, they're not going to cover you. And most of the time, they'll laugh at you and they'll do a crazy story about this crazy yeah. guy and they'll just be a, a, for a big chuckle, right? They usually won't really take you seriously. Just talk to people that believe. You can, and, and I, I don't want to say especially with me, always communicate with all, I support every Bigfoot uh, non-kill organization out there. But for me, I really need the information because I'm going to get protection for the species. I'm going to take this out of the paranormal, and that's what I believe these people want me to do. That's why you report things, because you want recognition for the species. And if you believe the species exists, please do take it. My petition is free. You just rip it off my website, you download it, and for the cost of a stamp, you send it to my post office box, and I will bring it to Parliament. I've already done it in Canada, and I'm going to do it in the U.S. And I will not stop until protection for the species is done or until I conclusively proven they exist. Now there is, before, there was nothing you can do, to my knowledge anyways. Now there is. You can stand up and you can make a difference. And at the very least, I'm just going to blow people away with what I can do and, and all the knowledge that I have. Okay, Dodd, there, there, uh, there have been a number of recordings of Bigfoot sounds, um, and I've, I've had several that uh, Bigfoot investigators <laughs> regarded as credible and real. Have you, have you heard some of these and... Uh, can you can you affirm? I mean, they're literally screams. Does that sound right to you? Uh, well, I've heard them, and I, I've not. I, I've heard the them online and and in TV shows. I've never right. in in real life. No, I mean, again, it goes back to me. This is the most evasive, elusive species on the planet. They're going to do everything they can to hide. This is probably extenuating circumstances where they're uh, mating calls, or you know, there are certain times of year when elk make a lot of sound, but that's that's just not very often going to happen. Because elk, you know, if they went around making lots of sounds, they're not going to survive. Animals mm -hmm. are going to detect them. So the most evasive species on the planet, which I consider Bigfoot to be, uh, the majority of, I mean, I haven't had a lot of experiences with them, and uh, I've never heard them make any kinds of sounds whatsoever. That was going to be my question. You were close, and you, you've not heard a thing. No. Even, even actually uh, the profound odor, which is very significant evidence, even across the First Nations people, and uh, I never really had uh, a profound odor. There was uh, one of my team uh, said he smelled something at one point, but uh, I mean, I was within 50 yards of one of these animals, and I never smelled anything. But that could be attributed to the fact that they're in the mountains, brilliantly crystal clear water, you know, that they can survive in. They fish in that, and and uh, it's probably just you know in that particular. Like if you if you're going to see a Sasquatch in in the swamps, I bet you he's going to smell awful because he's you know he's lurking around in murky, nasty sure. swamp water. But uh, Rocky Mountain Bigfoot, uh, nothing 
significant for order that I've ever discussed or ever taken note of to point. When will you next? Uh, when will you next go out, Todd? Uh, well, my team, uh, my other two members, I have a paramedic and a biologist from uh, paramedic from Calgary and a biologist from Great Falls, Montana. They are uh, going out on an expedition next weekend, and they're going to continue to search. They're really looking for a needle in the haystack when you're looking for a Bigfoot domicile. The difference with us is we know what the needle looks like. Everybody else is just looking through a haystack, and they have no idea what they're looking for. So uh, we are very, very – and it's, it's, it's an exciting time for us because uh, I really – I think we have some really good leads, uh, have some very, uh, I guess you could call them hot spots. And uh, I think, uh, you know, as soon as we're able to recognize a domicile, I want to get that team together and, uh, and make that highly, the, the expedition will be highly publicized when we come back. I'm going to be very secretive about it as much as I can, but when I come back and I have the video evidence, you know, I'll make it public because I want to get protection for the species and I want to have this taken out of the realm of paranormal and make it a reality. Okay, well, I'm, I'm sure you've seen uh, a lot of the other evidence, you know, the Patterson video and all the rest of it. Uh, what, mm -hmm. what is your opinion of other presented evidence and, and video? Is there anything you consider, since you've actually seen one, mm -hmm. is there anything else out there that you consider the, the real McCoy? Um, there's even a video evidence, and I just, I, I can never 100% rule things out because there's always, like when I see the Patterson film, the first thing I like to analyze is what were the circumstances? And Patterson was coming along a, a rocky area on horses, and now the most evasive animal on the planet is in an open space. He certainly, or she certainly would have heard you coming, and she did nothing. She kind of had a drink out of the creek. This is, this is again, my very loosely based uh, analysis of it. But then when you look at these experts that are looking at the film and, and the, the detailed studies of, 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 you know, there's no kinks in the suit. It's, it's, it's a brilliantly put-together suit, and Patterson did that back in 1967. As much as I'd like to say it just seems like impossible for somebody to come along and fluke out like that, when you look at how strong the evidence of this, you know, the, 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 the animal is, it's, uh, it's very compelling. And I've even heard the, uh, the gentleman speak who says he was in the suit and a gentleman who said he sold the suit to Patterson. Mm. And, again, it's just their testimony. They have no evidence to, to solidify their opinions. But uh, the, the Patterson film is, is still uh, tremendous evidence to me. If, if Patterson did hoax it, the reason it hasn't come forth that it was a hoax because he got, did more than get extremely lucky. It was just a brilliant fluke. So. Okay, Todd, uh, what do you... <laughs> Do you work aside from the work you're doing on all of this? Uh, are you uh, are you in the working world, or uh, is this now, um, however you manage to do it, your income? Uh, I've taken a couple months off from work. I, I was uh, formerly a pasteurizer. I killed pathogens in milk, and uh, I'm just going to take uh, probably the next three or four months. I worked very hard, saved my money, and uh, I'm just going to uh, devote myself to this for a time and. Uh, see what transpires out of it. So. Well, you certainly I, sound very passionate about it. I, I, yeah, I'm trying to, to calm down because I do, I get very passionate about it, and I really, really, it's just when you get out there and you see it, and it's, it's so exciting, it's so thrilling, because there's the most man-like species on the planet is real, and it really exists, and it's, it's a thrilling experience. As terrifying as it is, it's, it's thrilling. And, uh, but at the same time, I feel like I have an enormous responsibility on my shoulders, and something I tell people, too, is, I'm also prepared to, if I can never get protection for the species, and I feel that our work is leading to what may be detrimental for the species, I will drop all my research and I'll walk away. Really? The reason I'm doing this is I believe there is, there is a, a way that we can peacefully coexist with these animals. I really, really believe that. Because another thing I will tell you, 
is there are a lot of people that know these animals exist, a lot. But people that have had wisdom enough to understand these animals exist have had wisdom enough to understand they should be left alone. And that's the difference with me is I believe there is uh, a compromise. And if I don't believe that compromise can exist, I'll feel very poorly about my own species and I'll drop all the work and walk away. But at least I'll know at the end of the day I did the best I could. So you would do that. You would drop everything at what point? When you, when you could get no legislation through, when you had failed completely at uh, protecting them? Yeah, and, and, and if, if new, like every day things change with me and I learn new things every day. And if I ever learn that I'm somehow leading or going down a path that'll cause the eradication of the species, I will drop my work. I will, I'll burn everything I have and I will walk away from it all. Because it's, it's not about my notoriety, it's about the notoriety of the species and, and proving even just to my children that I'll have someday that, you know, we are good enough, we civilized man is advanced enough to find a way to peacefully coexist with these animals, period. I want to believe Gosh, that. Gosh, you know, you know, Todd, I wish I believed that. But um, if, if, if one was shot, uh, or, or even um, in a more spectacular way, one was captured alive, I, mm-hmm. you and I can both imagine the circus that would ensue. It would be horrible. But you know what inspires me greatly, too, is even I've been deceived, lied, and cheated, but I've found great men. I have five people that I implicitly trust that get offers all the time just sell this guy out, give us the information he has, and they don't do it. And I, I meet more people like that every single day. And when I take my film on tour, I've met eight-year-olds and people from retirement homes that come out and say, you know what, this is great work. We're really supportive of what you're doing. And, and I meet those kind of people, and it fortifies my opinion that I do believe this is a possibility. I do believe this can happen. I do believe in humanity. I think that, you know, we are generally good people. And even just for the good people, I want to do the best I can to make this happen. Todd, are you... Personally, 100% convinced that uh, Bigfoot is absolutely real. Yes, I am. Like, I, I, again, it's, it's so hard for me to give up my skepticism, but uh, if, if I've been fooled, then the First Nations have been fooled, then it, it goes back. Like, this hoax is just bigger than, than anything that I could ever possibly imagine. So I have to say that uh, as skeptical as I like to be, and I, I never, there is no 100% with anything. I, you know, there, we could be, so many things could be deceived. So many things can be pulled over our eyes. And, uh, but I, I would say that, God, I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that these animals are absolutely real. And uh, I believe. No, you know what? That's a lie. I'm 100% sure. After what I've experienced, even beyond what I can tell the public, from what I've seen, this is just, there's no way. This is 100% real. And I am 100% a believer. Todd, how much do you... To terms with that. Yeah, how much do you know, Todd, that you cannot share publicly? Um, I would say um, a significant amount. If people, you know what, if people really look at my research, look at my chronicles, start reading things, you can really deduce a lot more out of it. Because, th- again, this isn't some mythical kind of uh, a legendary impossibility. If you really read my research and you really take into account the things that I talk about, you'll start to ask the right questions. And if you just think for a moment, you'll get the answers. It's all, all right. All right. All right, Todd, hold it there. We're at a break point. I'm tempted. In fact, I'm going to open the lines here in just a moment. Todd Standing is my guest. Very convincing. I'm Art Bell. Well, I'm certainly not an impeccable judge of character, but you know, as I listen to Todd Standing, I, I hear a passionate, honest man with a mission. I hear a man who 
believes what he's saying. And I think that uh, everything he's told us uh, probably is going to stand up to scrutiny. Now, that said, what I'd like to do is give a preference to any of you out there who have had a sighting, any of you who have had an encounter, and, of course, any of you who have serious, uh, important questions for Todd Standing. I think it's a good idea at this point to open lines. But with what I've heard so far, I'd certainly give it an A. I'd give Todd an A. I'm Art Bell. We'll get back to, uh, well, actually, Todd and your questions in a moment. Um, I have no idea whether uh, this message that I have is real or not. But I actually have a message from uh, Bugs, uh, purporting to be Bugs, uh, from Texas, and I won't say where. And he supplies me with a phone number. Now, in the old days, I could just pick up a phone here and uh, put him on the air. I don't have the luxury uh, to do that. So what we'll have to do is uh, in the next break, I'll pass the phone number on and, and have Bugs called. So Bugs, uh, don't go to sleep. I'm sure you won't. Uh, we'll get to you uh, in the next segment. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Todd, I'd like to bring some people on and see what they have to say to you. Sure. Okay, then here we go. Uh, this would be Billy in uh, Somerville, South Carolina. You're on with Todd Standing, Billy. Hi, Mr. Art and Mr. Todd. <clears throat> I, um, I, I've been a big fan of the show, and I remember a previous show, Mr. Art, where um, you brought in a guest who spoke of the Nephilim, and... Putting it together, it seems to me as though these creatures are intelligent and have the almost supernatural ability to detect humans before we detect them Mm -hmm. and to disappear from us. And I'm wondering if these could be some kind of a branch of the Nephilim. We know we've found skeletons in various places of, of creatures that are massive. And also in Wyoming, I've seen medicine wheels which I spoke to some Indians there, and they told me that those wheels have been there before their people even got to the land. And so there's all kinds of signs of intelligence. And um, I was just wondering how you'd respond if this could be a branch of the Nephilim or, or something like this. Well, I'll have to, uh, have to look more into the Nephilim. I really don't have any knowledge of that. But what I can tell you to answer part of your question is when I shot Video 3, the, uh, the animal that I was shooting didn't want to be shot. He didn't want to be on film. He was going to do whatever he could to evade me. He was hiding behind just a small little tree. And what he did is he had to run away. If he could have disappeared, if he could have went into another dimension, he would have done that, but he couldn't. Yes. So what he did is he had to run away, and that's how I caught him on film. And there are other times, or even video too, if that animal, he did, I'm telling you, that animal did not want to be filmed. He was doing everything he could to evade me. And even as he evaded me, I could see him. So there was no dimensional travel or anything like that. It was these flesh and blood, just an animal that's, that's actually real. Yes. Uh, but When he speaks of Nephilim, he's speaking of... Um, um beings that are the product of uh, angels mating with human beings, right, Connor? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Um... So uh, sort of in the paranormal realm, I guess, in a sense. Uh, And there are a lot of people, of course, uh, Todd, who do tend to think they're in the paranormal realm because there are so many reports of them uh, simply vanishing. Actually, uh, I have I have a response to, to their vanishing ability. I, I think that again goes back to the ability that, that they're social animals and they stick together. When when an animal. <clears throat> 
for example, I believe that uh, an animal that I saw was, uh, was in an area where it couldn't escape. It was trapped. And I believe what happened was another animal from above reached over, bent a tree down, broke the tree, handed the tree to the animal, and then the animal grabbed the tree and he lifted him up. And when I came there, looks like the animal disappeared. Well, he didn't disappear. It wasn't supernatural. Simply another animal handed him down this huge log and removed the log after, and I have no knowledge of what happened. So that, that's not supernatural. That's just being a social creature. And, and having it's not even some kind of huge intellectual thing. It's just being smart enough to know your surroundings and how to evade people, because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Uh, Carol in Claremont, California. You're on with Todd. Good. How, hi. I, I have a question. Um, apparently in 19, in the late 50s, there was a man who uh, was a wealthy oil man, and his name was Tom Slick, and he funded uh, missions to the Himalayas to investigate Yeti. Yep. And in 59, apparently they found uh, some feces, which were analyzed by Bernard Huvelman, a big biologist, um, who said that since each animal has its own parasites, they're species-specific, that, that, and this host animal was an equally unknown animal. Have you, do you know about this, and have you ever found anything uh, that you could analyze? Um, yeah, I, I, well, I know about uh, there's been DNA analyzed by, uh, by Harvard, who has some sort of unknown species that was from China, which is most likely the Yeti. Uh-huh. Yes, but, right, uh, uh-huh. That, that just it really it really wasn't our goal when we were out on our expeditions to get because the hairs have been done the hairs are there I'm not going to even even uh, there have been fecal but I, I'm, done I'm thinking when you come face to face and nose to nose with these uh, bureaucratic minded people who who want to give validity or, or maybe don't actually want to give validity if you had one more thing that actually you could see under a microscope. Yeah, and I need to get that kind of evidence. I need to. Uh, it'll be more important for me when I go shoot video four with the. Uh, the skeptics that I'm going to take with me, that'll be absolutely essential that I come back with some kind of physical evidence because that'll put the stamp on everything I've done. Not only did we get this video evidence, but look, now unknown species DNA from whatever hair and fecal stuff that we'll have. So Right, exactly. That, that would really do it. Well, good luck. Yeah. And listen, don't lose your passion. It's wonderful. Oh, and thank you very much. And I, I don't intend to at all. All I, right, I be- good. I believe, I believe that this is going to be a reality. I'm going to work very hard to make this happen. So well, please, if you have the opportunity... Sign some of my petition to, to help us get I certainly will. I'm attempting to do that. Great. Thank you very all right. much. Uh-huh. Thank Th- you. Thank you, Carol. Take care. Uh, all right. Here's somebody who wants to challenge your motives, uh, uh, Todd. So uh, here, here it comes. Steve in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, Todd's with you now. Hi, Todd. How are you, uh, you doing up there? Excellent. Excellent. Good. Good question. I do a lot of animal rescue work. I uh, have my own nonprofit and have spent a fortune suing government agencies, and I've dealt with a lot of people who have what I call the pseudo-altruistic exploitation syndrome, mm-hmm. where they put on this big face and they act like they want to do all these wondrous things for the animals, but deep down inside of it, it's just something to get them exposure on radio stations and TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you said a couple things. One, you said you'd quit your work uh, you know, if you were 99% sure it would harm the animals. And then, two, you said something to the effect that you know, people are the worst, thing, worst uh, enemies these animals have. Well, uh, that's my bird, sorry. Uh, I also have about 15 cats. But anyway, if these animals have been around for 40, 50-plus years, which probably longer, and I believe they exist, what makes you think that they need protection from us? Uh, not necessarily protection. I just want to find a way to... Because once we've recognized the species exists, we can leave them alone in their domiciles. We can, we can conduct our studies and just... It's, it's never going to but be... You're, uh, but you're, you're ducking the question. The question is, why do you need legislation for, some, for, for a being 
And I'm not going to call them an animal. They're a being. I think they're more intelligent than we are because we can't find them, and we've tried. So, you know, you begin to wonder which side of the of the sword the intelligence level is at. Why do you think they need our protection? It seems to me like they're doing very well all on their own, and if you just leave them alone, they would continue to do well on their own. The only reason I can see you wanting to do this and, and capture one of these is to get some notoriety for yourself, just like no, all No, wait a minute now. He didn't say he wanted to capture one. Oh, never. I would never do that. Yeah, he, wanted to, he wanted to tranquilize one. He had a buddy with a tranquilizer ready to go out and dart one. And that was, and that was a mistake, and I've learned from that. And that's, I tell people not to have do you, that. Hey, do you Don't have tranquilize them. Do you have any experience darting animals? Uh, no, but the, uh, the tranquilizer gun expert that I had, he'd been doing it for 20 years. Everything right, but you've never darted one of these animals. Now, I have darted animals, and I've seen the reactions they can have when they come out of it. And if you're dealing with an unknown physiology and you yep. inject drugs in them, you don't know how you could actually kill one of these things. That, that is absolutely correct, and that's what uh, a zoologist and uh, veterinarians have been telling me. And that's another reason why, you know, when you tranquilize one of these animals without knowing about their metabolism, you, I mean, you probably would kill them. It's most likely because we just know nothing about the species. So you're absolutely right. And I am, I am strongly against capturing them or tranquilizing them in any way. But your your question, you were getting onto something really good there. And uh, oh, if we could just backpedal for a second, you. Uh, uh, the, the fact that they can uh, avoid. Oh no, no. Why? Why do I believe that a species that has survived for this long right. uh, needs protection? Because I believe they need our help to survive. I believe that their habitat is virtually gone. I, you, you know what? Uh, and I, I, I also believe uh, more truth about what's going on. I also believe that there's a strong possibility the discovery has been made and that the animals have a specialized sensory perception and they'll be eradicated to ensure that that sensory perception remains in the hands of the people that have just made this discovery. Oh, so I'm going I'm to have to respectfully disagree with that conclusion. I, I, and I understand. I, I think that. the animals have avoided us, and I think they wish to continue to do so. And I think any pressure you put on their, their civilization populations is going to make it more difficult for them and stress the population out even further. And you, you, you are of the opinion that uh, wisdom enough that they should be just left alone. Why and not? I understand. Why not why, what is the benefit in discovering and exposing them as being for real? What is the uh, benefit? Because I, I believe that they are going to need our assistance if they're going to survive. Uh, and I believe, I, I believe we have maybe, a maybe lot we to learn need from them. Maybe we could learn from them and get their assistance for us to survive. Maybe they're just observing us. As and we and you know what? That is absolutely correct. I, I, that, that is an absolute possibility. That we can even, as humanity, we can benefit from their knowledge and their understanding because they have, they have coexisted uh, harmoniously in nature, and we have not. But there's, so a reason, there's a reason they haven't exposed themselves to us, obviously. And that they've evaded us entirely. And I talked about that earlier with Art, the way we yes, just did. eradicated, uh, you know, we're basically serial killers on this continent from when we came. So maybe that's a hint you should take from these beings. Absolutely. Well, maybe, but I, I mean, what, what, look, what's the value in any discovery? You don't know until you make the discovery. You simply yeah, don't I, know. It's like space. What's the value I, of going to space? We, I, we I guess on the Thomas Hobbes theory of humans that, that we're really not that good. And while there are altruistic reasons that could be, you know, Gleaned by by discovering these animals, I agree with that. It's just the downside of what always happens, you know, when when the exploitators find out that this being exists, they'll be out there in droves, looking for these beings even more than they are now once they have proof of existence. Well, there is that. Uh, there is that, Todd. What do you think? Uh, and, and that's that's why I said that. It I really need to take time, and if I'm going to ethically do this, it's not going to be something that happens overnight. I need to find scientists that are of like-minded thinking as I am and 
slowly, step by step, uh, earn a respect and a trust with people that are going to help me make this discovery. And again, at any time, if I believe that it's going to cause detriment to the species, I have to walk away. So I believe, I believe ultimately that, uh, that this discovery will benefit both of our species. Well, and, if, and you had, if, yeah, if you had, if you stumbled upon absolute proof, proof positive, whatever that would be, whether you would, uh, uh, in essence, uh, uh, tranquilize one, which you've said you wouldn't do, or you come back with DNA evidence that absolutely proves that they DNA are there, would... that, that's going to send a gazillion guys into the forest with guns. You just know it is. And that's why, that's why I'm so fortified in protection first, so fortified in that. That is absolutely not even a negotiation. If, if, you, if, if, if people are going to make me believe that they can coexist with the species, they have to help me get protection for them. If I'm unsuccessful with that, if people don't care, if, if this is just not going to be something that people are going to help me with, then, then the naysayers are right, and I believe we're not ready for this discovery, and I have to walk away from it. Okay. All right. Uh, Mike in Grand Forks, North Dakota, you're on with Todd Standing. Hi. Hi, Art. Hi, Todd. Hi. Hey, hey, I guess I'm in the in a line here from what I hear. Um I'm calling you. I, I used to track Bigfoot in, in the Cascades and uh they're they're an interesting breed. I don't know anything about the Rocky Mountains because I I didn't grow up there and I didn't track any there, but I know a lot about them and uh you sound uh, like you do know some things here. Um the you know, as you said a little bit earlier, you you hear the scream tapes and and the people would say, oh, you smell them five miles before they get there and all that. Uh, right then I know they have no clue what they're talking about, and it's, it's a joke, you know. But anyway, I did really get into it. I got good at it. Uh, I grew up with them. I was, it was passed on from my family and uh, a couple neighbors, uh, friends. But when we became teenagers, of course, you get out on your own as a teenager, and you start doing things when your folks aren't around and, and using their knowledge and expanding upon it. And, of course, as a teenager would, uh, we tried a lot of things and did a lot of things and learned a lot of things. But the bottom line was I, I quit, and, and I quit for one reason one reason only, and that's because they're they're dying anyway. They're going. They're gone. I can't believe there's any. I, I 20 years ago, I would have swore you wouldn't find one right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I always hoped I was wrong, but mm-hmm. um, they uh, – I don't think they're long for this world without us messing with them. And when we start messing with them and we tell the wrong person the wrong thing at the wrong time, uh, you're going to find people in there. I mean, I'm serious. There are people, they will go in with AK-47s, a whole bunch of them, at, to yep. find them. You know? right. And it's, it's right. scary. And yep. uh, it reminds just like the gorilla, you know. They're still hunting them down to chop off their hands and feet, you know. Yep. And we got people in there with AK-47s trying to protect them. And, and what you're talking about, you know, trying to get help with protection, it's been tried before, the state of Washington, the state of Oregon, you know, I'm sure you heard about all that. They well, tried protection, yeah. They, they tried legislation and everything. The bottom line is the way our society works, especially here in the United States, is what, what you're saying would happen, but it would happen once it's already too late. Everything's in motion. What little bit is left for them would be gone by the time you got any protection. And once you did get protection, you couldn't get the money for, to get people up there, enough people to protect them as the gorillas are going through now from the people who just don't care. They're just going to kill. Yeah. And, and it's sad. So but that, I had to call. I'm a first-time caller, Art, and uh, I, I like your program, and I hear a lot of interesting things. But uh, I am here to tell you um, – I, I do know they exist, and uh, I hope they still exist, but I haven't seen one in 20 years, and it's because I don't want to. I haven't looked. 
I uh, stay as far away from those areas as I can now, and I hope everybody else does too. All right, Mike, thank you very much for the call. And uh, Todd, I guess he, he did make some points, didn't he? Uh, yeah, and, and those those things, I it it just I, I feel it in my stomach when people start talking about that, and I I know about this responsibility that I have. But t- to be honest, I mean both both points were were very strong points, but they were more to the to, to the nay of it, and and I understand those things, but I really do believe that that this, this is a possibility, and and we have a working plan, and we 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 revamp it all the time, and we're always reconsidering our options. But I believe that this is this is. This can be a success. It's, it's, it's honestly, is it likely to happen? Am I likely to get this done? Probably not. But I have to at least try. I have to at least know that I did the best I could to make this happen, and uh, and that's what I'm working for. Because I, I call, call me a bad guy for believing this is a possibility. No, I don't. I don't. I really. Todd, I really I, do. look, the state of the world right now that we're in, Todd, is just it's tenuous. It's frightening. Uh, I'm reading stories every week now about uh, the climate deterioration, the bees disappearing, the fish disappearing from the ocean. It just couldn't get any worse. And so maybe maybe these creatures have something that we need to know. Maybe they know something that, that, that the world really needs. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we can maybe we can save each other. Absolutely. So, I, I really, I really want to look at the positive and the plus and the, the, the good of this, and and that's what I focus on. But I'm, I'm really aware of the negative. And I, but I, I need people like that to come forward and tell me what they think and, and give me those opinions because there's a possibility that I'll be swayed. And just, uh, I, I have to know that I'm considering every option and, and making the right educated decision in the end. So. Got it. Um, all right. Not a lot of time. Gary in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, you're on with Todd. Hey, Art. Hey, Todd. Hi. Hey, I got a question about the Roger Patterson film. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm looking at that right, when it turns back to look back, does it mm-hmm. not have a mammary gland there? Is that a female? Oh, yeah, there's definitely breasts there, absolutely, yeah. Very, very clear. Because I've never heard anybody say anything about that, and the people that, you know, that said they thought it was a hoax, they've never said anything about that, and I don't know who would think to make a hoax and then make it a female on top of that. Yeah, the guy who says he actually had the costume, there were no breasts for the costume, so Patterson would have had to make those breasts. But I'll tell you, uh, there are gentlemen out there that have dedicated years of knowledge and understanding of the Patterson film, and they've gone through every iota of evidence, and it's it's brilliant, the work that they've done, which just uh, sways me to believe that it, it it's likely to be real because... Wow, they've gone through every millimeter and iota of everything. It's it's brilliant the work that they've done, and uh, it's very. Impressive. I did see that where somebody did they did have a show where they tried to recreate that, and it didn't look very good to me at all. Not even close. Yeah, when they do recreations, it's it's pathetic. And to think that Patterson did that without any help in 1967 is mind-boggling. All right, Todd, uh, hold tight. When we get back, we might or might not have the infamous, the famous bugs. We'll see. I'm Art Bell. Good morning, everybody. All right, it's happened. We have bugs on the line. Now, this goes back years and years on coast. This is a man who claims he shot, and I believe him, two Bigfoot. He buried them. Todd Standing is my guest. He's a passionate, uh, articulate, sensitive guy, and I believe every word he's saying as well. So in a moment, uh, we're going to get them together, and we're going to get... Bugs to tell his incredible story. We'll be right back. Good morning, everybody. My guest is Todd Standing. 
I would li- I'd like to uh, now introduce you to somebody I haven't talked to in years and years. Uh, is it really you, Bugs? It's really me, Art. How are you doing? Hey, buddy. Uh, great to hear your voice. How have the years treated you? Oh, I'm just getting older and slower, Art. <laughs> yeah, aren't we all? All right, Bugs, it's uh, an opportunity I just can't pass up. Todd is here. Um, Todd, you are here, right? Yes, I am. All right. I'd like to ask you to just sit back and listen and uh, ask any questions you would like to ask as as you listen to the story. Feel free. But I would like you to listen to what Bugs has to say. Bugs, best you can with the time we've got, tell us. You want it from the beginning? Yes, sir. Okay. I I believe this is either December of 76 or January of 77. Me and a couple of buddies of mine by the name of Bird Dog and Jim were out hunting. Back in during that period of time, uh, these varmints, coats, bobcats, coons, boy, they'd bring a lot of money. There was a lot of nights we'd go out and hunt all night and come home with $2,000. So uh, this particular night, we uh, was back up north, and we were making our run toward the house, and it's probably four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. And by the way, this is in Texas. Uh, this time. is in it's Texas. In Panhandle of Texas. I guess we can identify that, that part. Okay, go ahead. And we were coming down this road heading south, and we wanted to come down by a creek, which I won't name at this point. And there was a wheat field on the north side of this creek. It ran about is about a quarter mile wide and about a mile long. And before you got to the creek, there was a series of hill of a hill you had to go up and over. And you know we traveled about ten, maybe fifteen miles an hour with the spotlights going back and forth looking for eyes. And when we come up over this hill and uh, our lights went down on this on the wheat field, we seen a set of eyeballs. So uh, we immediately put the spotlights on it. We drove on down, uh, keeping it in, in sight because at that point we was probably 300, 350 yards from it. Uh, we drove on down probably another 100, 150 yards, and we were straight almost north of it. And Bird Dog jumped out and come across the cab with his uh, rifle. And he says to me something to the effect, what the heck is that? Well, immediately, Jim, he jumped out of the pickup, put his rifle on it, and I put mine on it. And I said, I think it's a bear, because it was squatted down out there in the middle of the wheat field. And I said, let's kill it. We all three fired at the same time. Uh, It dropped. We jacked another round in the chamber, each one of us, and it got up and took off running. And we fired again, and it dropped again, and it ran and jumped over the fence, went down into the creek. We didn't know what the heck it was at that point. Didn't know if it was a bear or what, because it was running like a human. Uh, we went down and played around, whatever, till it got light enough to where we could see, and we went back down to the point where it jumped the fence and went into the creek, and we, we could see blood drops we followed the blood drops up to a plum thicket and we could hear a growling in there and nobody wanted to go into plum bushes to see what it was me being young and dumb having a 44 magnum pistol i decided i'd go into plum bushes so i go in there i guess i was in all 15 20 30 feet something like that and uh i still couldn't see anything and then all of a sudden right in front of me uh, I could see this one creature down on the ground. Another one was sitting there at its head, and it was growling at me. And I had my forty-four, and it came up 
like it was coming toward me, and I fired once. It staggered. I cocked the hammer again, and it come toward me again, or leaned toward like it was coming toward me again. I fired again, and over backwards it went and hit the ground. And uh, we got them out, looked at them, and Art, it scares me to this day still. That female had breast on her just like a woman. She had uh, the female organs. The male had the organs. The only they were, difference. Uh, they were covered with hair? Uh, yes, they were covered with hair, kind of a reddish-brown hair, solid solid across. Uh, their brow was a little bit higher than a human, but they had nose and eyes similar to human. Their mouths was uh, more uh, like a prune mouth. Uh, it just it, it scared the hell out of me. I'll just be honest with you, because I thought we done killed uh, two deformed human beings. And so me and Bird Dog and Jim, we thought about it for a long time. We decided the best thing to do is to bury them suckers and put them in the ground. So that's what we did. Okay. Uh, the can you estimate the uh, how tall were these? Creatures. I'm going to say the male was probably eight and a half foot, somewhere around that area, and the female is probably, oh, I'm going to say seven foot six to eight. And the male would probably weigh, oh, I'm just guessing the way we had tug on them, probably 500 pounds. The female weighed probably God. four. Wow. I mean, they were heavy, Art. Okay. Uh, so you buried them near this uh, creek, right? Right. In fact, you have a map. I, I do. guess you still have the map. I, I, I do. I told you if on my death you could reveal it. Yeah, I've got the map. Um, but I was listening to your guest tonight. He said they can't be classified as space as a as a human species, and that's why I wanted to talk to him. Because if he can convince me they are not human, I will reveal that location. Yeah, but, we, we 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 talked to. Uh, I think you had a chance to talk to an attorney. Isn't that right? That's correct. And I talked you, to attorney. Uh, My wife didn't want me doing it because she, because the thing about it is, the the female breast and the female organs and the male organs and stuff. It was just, you know, it, it just you, you can't understand it unless you can see it, and it's still burned into my brain to this day. Todd, how would you advise him? Uh, now you've heard the story. If you have any questions, feel free to ask them or. Advise him. You see, you see the uh, the problem he's got. Yeah. Well, the story really just scares me entirely because you, you shot at something in a field that was crouched down. I mean, it really could have been a man at that. You know, like there's no, there's a point no, where, no, no. It was, we knew it was not a man. But when it was crouched down, when it was I crouched mean, down, it looked like a bear. We and and you got to understand another thing. Where we were hunting, there wasn't a human being living within twenty miles of that place. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I mean, thing. we knew the area. We knew this was not a man. Mm-hmm. Was it obvious? We knew it wasn't uh, a cow well, because, you know. Yeah, was it obvious uh, at that distance that it was covered with hair? You oh, know, yeah, was, you can see the hair because yeah. in our scopes that we were using, uh, th- at, at fire point, this, this thing was probably 150 yards out. And our scopes were, uh, what I used was a three by nine variable, and that's like 35 feet uh to, uh, thir- yeah, 35 feet to 100, I believe, or something in that neighborhood. So you, at that range, you could see, I could see the features, and it looked like a bear. Mm-hmm. What color were the eyes when you shine the light on them? Uh, there was no reflection. No reflection. 
that, and, that's uh, what surprised the heck out of me. You know, you know, I wish I had it right now. In, in the video one that I that I did shoot, although uh, there was a lot of augmentation and, and stuff done to it, the it's on the website still, and if, if, if it's on Meta Cafe. It's my video, and I don't even have access to it. But there's a sound of a growling sound right. that's, uh, that a lot of some, that actually got me uh, my biologist because that's the sound that a Bigfoot makes when it growls. And you should ought to listen to that sound because it's very original. It's sort of uh, people have likened it to sort of a chainsaw, or it was like a, a ticking da 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 da. To be honest with you, I have never in my life heard that kind of growl before. And that's what everybody says when they see the video one uh, sound is that it's just a sound like nothing's ever heard before. I mean, and uh, and, and and I'll tell you what, if it, if it's if it's the same sound, I mean, I didn't know it at the time. It took me a while, but that certainly was not a human being. It was it was a it was a new species of primate. And if it's the same sound, you certainly shouldn't be concerned. If you if you shot a species of primate, I mean, you don't take my word for it. Contact a. Uh, anybody, a, a wildlife officer, because those are the people that are really going to be involved in this. Contact them and tell them, what would happen if I killed Bigfoot? Say it right to them. I have killed a species. It's very close. The DNA is probably going to be 99% the same, but it's not a human. Yeah. It has hair and blood. And if you, it, what they'll tell you is, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing anybody can prosecute against you at all. So well, but, even with that being said, though, would I trust the legal system? No, you certainly have a point <laughs> in being concerned about that. That was, that was, in my point exactly, at that point in time, we went and seen an attorney because I was very serious about turning this over to mankind. Mm-hmm. I mean, what happened was a pure accident. I mean, it's one in a million chances of, of doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, it just everything was just exactly right at the right time. Mm-hmm. Bugs, they were both, uh, without question, dead. Oh, yes. Both of them were dead. Right I away. Mean, I mean, that female I shot was at 44. I used I used a 120 grain, or maybe it's 150 grain hollow point, and it took a hole out of the back of her. Both shots did probably all oh, three inch diameter. Now the other one was hit four times. <clears throat> but right, both of, both of you know something about the wild. Now I, I I don't know what the conditions are like in Texas where you are, uh, bugs, but. Well, I wonder from both of you, what do you think the odds are, uh, Bugs, that you could go back to that location, dig, and find uh, remains that could yield uh, DNA? 100%. I know the exact location. And as far as I know, nobody's ever messed around it. Because uh, there's only three people in the world, well, there's four now, my wife, five, counting you, Art, that knows the exact location of this. Well, you know, you know what I can say ultimately about this is, is perhaps it's a good thing that you didn't come forward ultimately because, again, if, if there was conclusive proof that the species existed and people went back and, and figured out precisely what transpired that got you so close to the animals, you know, there's no protection for the species and it might have created this kill-crazy environment where people would, you know, start hunting them and find enough evidence to track them and start killing them and, and perhaps it's for the best because I do, have, I do have time to try to ethically make this, uh, you know, these animals a reality in the scientific community, but with that being said, are people ready for it? And I, you know, I'm, I'm stepping forward very slowly, but uh, it, it's perhaps for the best that your discovery wasn't made public at that time because maybe people just weren't ready for it. You know? Well, I, the only person that I've ever told uh, the location and stuff like is my wife and these two guys that was with me, mm-hmm. and and Art, and you know, people know it's the Texas Panhandle. They don't know where in the Texas Panhandle. But uh, this particular creek or river or whatever, it runs 
to the Rockies. Mm-hmm. And as far as the stink, I never smelt any stink. I smelt a lot of blood uh, during that time. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about how they stink like skunks. Uh, I never smelt that, but I could smell the blood. <sighs> um, all right, that was then. This is now. Uh, Todd, this is an opportunity you might not want to pass up. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm kind of, for, for, I'm just shocked. I'm, I'm horrified by the story because just, just doing this, to, and even the animals didn't even uh, try to attack them. They didn't show any aggressive tendencies, and they were executed. And, and the, you know, I, I you got to I, remember this, Todd. We yeah. were out hunting for a living. Yeah, we weren't out there joy killing anything. Mm-hmm. We thought this was a bear. A bear will bring money. That's why we shot it. Mm-hmm. The second one I shot, the female, I shot out of self-defense. Because mm-hmm. I promised you, had I not shot her, she would have killed me. Yep. And, and I believe that, absolutely. I think Was she know, making Was she making moves? Uh, uh, you'd say she would have killed you. Um, yes. What uh, she was, this one was laying, and she was up close to its head. He was laying toward the north under these plum thickets. And when I got within about 15 feet, she seen me. I seen her. She got up and, and was fixing to come toward me when I fired my first round, Art. Okay. And I fired a second time, and it took her down. I, I would I would say uh, even to be put on the spot with with uh, facing such such a discovery of such magnitude at this point that it would really uh, if I'd really have to think about it and discuss it and and take some time to to really. Uh, because I mean, it, it, making this discovery at this point and and having this much information, it's just uh, it's it's tremendous, and uh, I don't even know precisely what I'd have to, to think on it and and whatnot. And uh, I'll tell you what, Art, I'll get back to you in a, a few days with uh, just a better deduction. I, I know we there's an archive. Uh, people have told me about the original uh, when the archive of the radio show that you did on this, and uh, I'll listen to it and I'll do a breakdown and I'll analyze it to the best of my ability and tell you what. Uh, all right, I think that's a that's a very good idea, and yeah. um, I, I think that I can serve as a, uh, a perhaps a middle ground uh, between the two of you, Bugs. I you That'd know be the, fine. You got the, my information, Art. That's right. The, the The problem now is not really much different than it was then. I want to be assured that this is is a primate and not a human, and I will reveal it. Or when right. I die, my wife has instructions to contact you and release the map. Okay. Uh, again, Bugs, as I did uh, way back then, I, I want to thank you for this. If there's anything you can think of, Bugs, that uh, you want to say now that you didn't say then, and of course, we, I think we covered almost everything then. No, I think I, I think it. I think I told it the same way I did the first time, Art. I, I, have, I have one more question, Bugs. Okay. Uh, did you ever? Did you ever, for a moment, did you ever feel uh, dis, like really disorientated, like you were? Did you ever get like a? A shiver up your spine. Like, uh, did you ever did you feel anything that just was really out of the ordinary? You want to know something? I can't go anywhere near that spot at night. It scares the hell out of me still. Mm-hmm. But during I mean, I, I tell you what, I have a farm that's about ten miles from there, and I have alfalfa, and I have to bale it at night. And you want to know something? It scares me to go out there and bale at night because I don't know if they'll come get me. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bugs, uh, have you, over these years, it's been a lot of years now, um, guilt, have you, uh, 
Have you lived with a lot of guilt over that? Oh, yes, Art. Yes. Because I don't know what I killed. I don't know if it's a human or what. And, you know, I served in Vietnam. I took life because I had to to protect my own. And I have no guilt for that. But this, I do have a lot of guilt. My wife will tell you that. Because I don't know what I killed. And, you know, if I had it all to do over, no way would I pull that trigger. You're saying the um, the private parts, male and female, were as human. Uh, yeah. Todd, does that does that ring right to you? Well, absolutely, yeah, for sure. I mean, any any primate species you look at gorillas or chimpanzees, it's all it's all going to be very very significantly similar. So, yeah, I would say a, a, gl- a gluteus that just looks like that's what I've actually got is what we call the ass shot, and you see clear set of of glutes, you know, that uh, don't even look so much like a. a a grill anymore. They look more human-like because these animals are so bipedal and upright that the similarities would just be exceptional, like he's speaking. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, well the only thing know, the yeah. difference between them and a, and a human is that in their facial area, their, their forehead, like I said, was a little higher, uh, and their mouth was kind of a prune mouth. Uh, and their nose was a little bit pugged, and their eyes was basically about the same. Their chins uh, had a basic face just like a human. To me, they look like a retarded human being, <clears throat> and that's what I thought they might be. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Todd, you know what you've said, uh, that everybody would say they can't touch you, but I understand, you know, that said, uh, the reality of what this man did, um, I think I'd be just every bit as hesitant in the end as he was and is. No, and, and I, I fully understand that. And with the laws being as they are, uh, the justice system being as it is, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to put my 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 future, you know, in in those hands. So uh, I I fully understand for where he's coming from, and it's it's a big, and that's why I don't want to give him any answers right now. I'd like to think about it and really look into it a little more before I can start definitively saying things. So, all right, all right, that works for me. Uh, Bugs, sit on everything. Uh, okay. Don't don't make any changes. I. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your coming on the program and reciting this in the short version again. Well, Thanks a million, buddy. I appreciate it. And, you know, when I heard him say these were primates, that's why I sent you the flash blast because I wanted to know. Got it. All, All right, right. Thank bugs. you, Art. Good night, my friend. All right, uh, bye-bye. That, that's the uh, incredible bugs. Uh, Todd Standing is my guest. We've got one more segment. We'll take your calls. The subject is Bigfoot from the high desert and the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Here I am. Well, there you have it. That's the uh, the bug story, as it were. And uh, I believe every word of it hasn't changed over the years. Bugs a little older, <laughs> aren't we all? But the story has remained the same. I believed it then. I believe it now. Todd is going to uh, take a while, without question, to absorb all of this. And uh, we may have something on our hands here. At any rate, we'll go back to uh, Todd Standing and your calls in a moment. You know, I've received a number of uh, very judgmental uh, fast blasts from people uh, hearing out of the blue the uh, the bug story that, uh, that was just recited on the radio. And I know it's uh, very easy to be judgmental when you hear something like that. You're listening to a farmer, an older fellow now, who uh, was a hunter, a serious hunter in Texas, Back in the 70s, and you've got to keep it in perspective. Uh, Todd, welcome back. Thank you. Any uh, further reflection on what you heard? Uh, just, it, yeah, I guess. Uh, it just, uh, 
it's, it's nice. I, I think that he feels some some sympathy for the for what happened, and it's it's, it's events like that that I'd like to uh, by having a, a law to protect the species. Uh, you know, in future, it would just make it obvious for people that you know whatever you're seeing. You shouldn't be shooting that. Don't start killing things. Don't don't shoot first and ask questions later. And uh, I just help. I think that uh, species protection would would even even not just species protection specifically for Bigfoot. Just if you see if there's a new species or if you see something that you don't know, don't start shooting at it because that's just ignorant to me. That's just ridiculous. Don't do those kind of things because it's just uh, it, it'll cause more harm than good in the end ultimately. So. Okay, let's go to, uh, let's go back to Texas. Stella in Texas, you're on with Todd Standing. Hi, Art. Hi, Todd. Hi. Um, I had a question about um, war and the Bigfoot species. I was uh, wondering if they are like a a flesh and blood, territorial, um, communal species. Wouldn't war be like an inevitable consequence of just interaction i guess and um you mean if, war you mean war with us with humans no war between each other between I'm, i guess i'm not hearing it i'm sorry repeat please i'm sorry um war between the bigfoot oh uh, like 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 male competition possibly right. what you're about because I mean that's that's very prominent in uh, in gorilla and chimpanzee society and right. and, you know, and and uh, honestly uh, just and this is I don't like to speculate a lot but I really do think that this species is is unique enough that I think that the communities really really stand together I think the males uh, generally stand together with their communities entirely and uh, that's just, uh, just from what I've seen in my very superficial empirical evidence just just seems to be that they don't seem to compete like that even but even gorillas young gorillas grow up and until they they decide that they want to breed with the females they're perfectly happy and 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 uh, the grayback allows them to stay there and live there so i think these animals are, are a little beyond those kind of primates i think they're more of a community than even those primates are so and that goes into my my theory of mind uh uh, speculation and whatnot as well. So I, I don't think there's so much competition between males and females in these groups. Okay. Hattie in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, you're on with Todd. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting an echo back from my phone. I'm sorry. That's quite all right. There's nothing we can do about it, so we'll just have to bear with it and go ahead and say what you want to say. Okay. I, I worked for the railroad for 30 years. And I was on a train going through the mountains. I came through, was coming through a tunnel, and I was looking forward, and I saw a Bigfoot walk across the mountain, the tunnel in my path. And I absolutely know that that's where it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you have a that's just a, a statement you're kind of making? Like you saw a big, you're a Bigfoot believer, is what you're saying? Like you saw? Well, I never really been, I never really thought about them until I saw it. Mm-hmm. And I I knew that that's what it was, and it, it, it didn't seem to be afraid of us at all. Mm-hmm. And I never told anybody about it because, like that guy Bud, everybody I worked with was hunters, and I was afraid that if I said anything, if anybody believed me, that they would try to find it and kill it. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say you're a testament to the probably 10 times as many people that are out there that have had these kind of experiences and you just you don't want to be ostracized you don't want people to laugh at you because you know what honestly that will happen people will joke about it you'll 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 never hear the end of it you'll get little bigfoot things and people will laugh and joke about you know the 
compare you to, do you believe in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and all that kind of stuff? And are you, are you going through a lot of that, Todd? Are you putting up with a lot of that? Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, when that happens, I just, it, it's, it's water off a duck to me now. It doesn't really bother me at all because uh, there's so many uh, great people in the past that have had big, huge scientific discoveries, and you meet uh, this kind of, uh, I guess, friction from the community and this kind of chastisation, but it's, it's going to happen. It goes with the territory, and I just, I'm not immune to it. It does bother me at times, but uh, the majority of people that are believers and say, you know, you're doing a great job, and I believe in what you're doing, it's those people that, that support me and help me that, uh, that make me uh, feel good about what I'm doing, and I know I'm doing the right thing, so I feel very strongly about what I'm doing, so... All right. Uh, Bill in St. Paul, Minnesota, you're on with Todd Standing. Hey, guys. Um, First-time caller. Uh, I just had a weird experience with a Bigfoot when I went to visit my sister in Altadena, California in 2000. I was uh, actually going to the Star Wars convention in Pasadena, but I was staying with her in Altadena. Uh, The first night we got there, I slept on the couch. And um, at about 2, 3 in the morning, I kind of woke up. I was moving around. I was on the couch. And I made eye contact with what looked to be, it had to have been 10 foot tall, and it looked like a Native American kind of male, and uh, was looking at me. I was terrified, Um, and I was trying to close my eyes so maybe it wouldn't see me or, you know, make some contact. And it stood there, I guess, for another 30 to 60 seconds. And, uh, you know, I was kind of opening my eyes, kind of squinting, trying to see it. And, again, like I said, it looked like a Native American about you know, nine to ten feet tall. Yeah, okay, I'm not clear. You were you were inside or outside? I was I was inside, right? And uh, you go up the hill, and I don't know if that's the San Gabriel Mountains or something. It's been a while now, or what? You know, just right at the foothill of the mountains there. Um, I think the Marx Brothers used to own it or something. I, I checked it out, did some internet research like the next day, and said that there's people that had seen Yetis and stuff up there. But yeah, so I I woke up and I was making contact with this, and I was inside sleeping on the couch. And it was looking in like it was trying to check out, you know, we are new to the to the area. So maybe he's trying to figure out, you know, what we we're doing there, you know, new people in his in his area there. Right. So he just wanted to see what was going on. So he came and checked it out. And like I said, I was squinting and I was trying to see it just terrified. And at, after about, you know, 60 seconds, um, it just walked away, you know, and I was up for the next four or five hours, terrified. I, you know, I was on the couch. I couldn't get off the couch until my brother woke up in the morning with me. And, you know, I'm telling him the story, and my sister said, uh, you know, she's seen lots of weird stuff there, and she has since moved from that house because there's so much kind of weird stuff going on around there. So um, just kind of that was my encounter. Uh, like I said, it didn't look like a beast of any kind. It looked like a, a native that was like 9 to 10 feet tall. Okay, Bill. I, I listen. I appreciate the story, Todd. Um, how many reports do you get of these creatures? Uh, certainly, they they stay away from civilization for the most part, but occasionally, I suppose, they brush up against it. Or if something new is built, as was the case there, maybe they check it out. Are are there many reports of that? Uh, the the inquisitive, like that, I would call that just. An, a statistical outlier where an animal is actually kind of making a, a, a contact. And actually, I, there's a lot of people that, that claim to have a lot of prominent people in the community. Lot, there's there's hundreds of people, especially especially when I get out there and I'm in the community and people watch me speak in front of my show and they listen to everything I have to say and they realize that this guy is passionate and he really believes in what he's doing. And they'll come talk to me after. They'll confide in me. And it really was, it was huge. I mean, hundreds of people will stay after and, and tell me stories and tell me about things. And even when they start talking about themselves, it, it all this comes out and you know it's uh, 
it's it's a lot. I think it's it's. I mean, there's no way to calculate how many people have actually had these sightings that have never come forward. But I think it really is significant. I don't think this is some elusive mystery. And people say, well, there's, how come there's never you know there's no proof? Well, there's there's thousands of sightings reported, and who like again, who knows how many people have actually uh, had these sightings that just never come forward like that? No, so it's it, kind of like ufology. Don't want to report one of those. Um, yeah. All right, Steve in Little Rock, Arkansas. You're on with Todd Standing. Yes, how are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. I uh, just don't know how many people, Todd, you've had to have, have come actually face-to-face. We had an experience, it's been almost 30 years ago, um, where, I mean, we were just, uh, I, I jumped out of a car with a flashlight, and I'm standing face-to-face to this creature, I don't know, about eight or nine foot tall, I would say somewhere over seven foot, but... He was built like a human, covered in hair completely. Uh, uh, I didn't notice any odor or no noise. It just, we startled him, and he was as startled, it seemed like, as much as as we were. Mm -hmm. This creature turned and ran off into the woods, off the side of this little road where we were at. We chased it, oh, I, I would say 100 yards or so in the woods before we lost it. But it was just an experience that I've told people about, and they think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, looked into it a little deeper. There was a sighting about a year prior to that in this same area by a Little Rock police officer. And started doing some more digging, and that's, there was another sighting prior to that. So, I mean, there's something to it. And when you, when you tell people about it, they think, well, you know, you're nuts. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And I was, I was listening to the show, and I was just wanting to know, you know where to get in touch with you. I would like to hear more of what you've got to say. Uh, well, it's, it's all, thank God for the internet, it's all uh, sylvanic.com, my website is everything. I, and I, if people that are trying to go on it right now, I know it's being bombarded, I know it's it's moving, it's not normally like that, just please be patient. If you really have something to say, please take the time to, there'll be in the next couple of days where it'll calm down a little bit, I think, and you can contact me, and, and please do send me all the information you have, because I want to hear everything. And and there's no piece of information that is not important not important with with your experience i want to know about what you were feeling about uh, the, the way the wind anything you can remember it's all very very important uh, there's, to there's our a lot investigation. of things yeah there's a lot of things i can tell you it's just that uh, you know don't have time to get into all of it on the show here yeah and all those little details put them all into your email send it all to me and and other bigfoot uh you know websites as well because we're all interested in this kind of stuff and it's 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 really important evidence for us without it we we have nothing to stand on i mean so we need to know these kind of things because it just it's every little bit is just going to help us in our in our quest ultimately so well this is the first time i've ever said anything you know really publicly like this because like i said people look at you like you're nuts and I don't know. This, this little parcel of land where this happened connects to, you know, several thousand acres of bottom land. So, And the location is probably the most important thing to divulge to me because that's what I'm really working on is, is, is getting a hot spot and figuring out where a domicile is so I can, I can make this, uh, this, this discovery and find the new domicile. Well, I've heard, I've heard other, people, other people mention similar things to this in this area over the last few years and, you know, kind of the same thing. People think, well, they're nuts. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the impression you get from most people. So, I will, I will uh, get on your website and, and send you some information. Please right. look forward to it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Steve. Um, Todd, is there a um, – I mean, you hear a great deal about the Pacific Northwest and yep. uh, Western Canada. Yep. Is but, but, you know, Arkansas, Texas, we get these reports from all over the place. Is there any more likely place than, than others? Um, 
I can't discount anything, but again, for me, it's just, uh, it's just. I look for really remote areas. I look for Rocky Mountain because it's just such an easy way. You don't leave tracks in the Rocky Mountains. There's an abundance of uh, food supply out there. It's very uh, inaccessible, and it's very easy to hide and uh, evade people in those areas. So I, I lean towards more towards those areas. But not to say that uh, you. As someone asked me once, uh, how many places like is there is there anywhere left in North America that hasn't hadn't hasn't had a Bigfoot site? And then the answer is yes, Hawaii. Everywhere else, there's been sightings in every province and every state, and not just a couple. There's hundreds and thousands everywhere. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a tremendous amount of information. But uh, I I definitely lean towards Rocky Mountain because that's where my expertise lies. I wouldn't even know the first thing to do. There was a big uh, thing going on in Texas just uh, a couple weeks ago, and I wouldn't even know the first thing how to track uh, one of these species in a swamp. I just could wouldn't have a clue. So. Okay, Danny in Nashville, Tennessee. You're on with Todd. Yeah, good morning. I was uh, I was calling to ask Todd if he knew anything about uh they found some bones in a cave up by Tennessee, East Tennessee and it's a state park now. Mm-hmm. But uh they said it was a giant sloth. They found mm-hmm. a, they said the bones are about two hundred years old, but it was a they said it was a nine foot sloth. I don't I've never heard anything anybody even talking about anything like that around here. Those, you know, there's, there's so many. I know, I know precisely what you're talking about. And there's so many instances like that that happen, and I don't know why the information just disappears to nothing. I, I hear somebody has a hand and it's analyzed. It's not human. What happened to that hand? And and I, I remember people. I, I saw photographs of people measuring this, and it couldn't. I, I, I showed these photographs to a to a primatologist, and they said well, that can't possibly be a sloth because look at the, you know, by by whatever evidence and knowledge that he had, and yet, and now this is all gone. It's you know, it's like there's. I, I hate to say it, but it's like there's some kind of conspiracy. Just the truth is, ultimately, yeah, there has to be a body to get definitive. If if somebody came, there's been DNA. There's already been uh, it's unknown species, the, the, right. the footprints, and the, there's so much evidence out there already. The only thing that's going to conclusively prove these animals exist to science, which is a very conservative. You know, science has just always been conservative that way, is a body. That's what's necessary. Nothing else. You're absolutely right, Todd. I've heard yeah. of a number of instances where they test something, they say it's non, not human DNA or it's not known DNA. Yeah, There's absolutely. nothing on earth that, that we, we, we can identify this DNA with, and then it gets put up on the shelf and you don't hear another thing about it. Absolutely, because it's not enough. And even what scientists will say, their perspective is, okay, it's an unknown species, we have all this, but until there's something to compare it to, we don't know what species it is. So for now, it's unknown, and we just leave it at that, because science needs definitive, unequivocal, absolute, 100% proof that they exist. And they, if I came back with a leg, it's not going to be enough. I'd have a whole Bigfoot leg with a foot and everything. It's not, they would say that's not enough, because we need a heart, we need a skull, we need eyes. So you need a full body, and, and nothing short of that's going to prove it to be conclusive to science so got it all right uh john and everett washington you're on with todd standing greetings and salutations gentlemen hi um i'm a first-time caller and uh, i've had three experiences with these critters uh over the years once in 1959 my dad and i were hunting and we ran across these tracks and uh he says, oh, my God, I can't believe that I'm seeing what I'm seeing. And uh, he was manager of a very large tree farm, almost 100,000 acres. So he was covering a lot of ground all the time. But uh, this is about like the third time we've seen something like this. And he had told us about, well, yeah, you know, you heard stories about the Yetis and stuff. But he says, this is something like they've got here in the Northwest. 
And so we were walking along, and we weren't more than 300 feet away from this, I don't know, human-looking thing, but it had uh, reddish-brown hair like a uh, orangutan, and uh, but it, the hair was different. It was like with that color, and it just kind of looked at us and then walked off into the... Uh, the brush, and then and Dad says, "Well, we're not following. It's just, just uh, I don't want to be in this area." He says, "We could get into some serious trouble." He says, and "It was huge. It was probably like eight and a half foot tall." <laughs> the next time uh, I saw one, I was up in the Okanagan uh, hunting by myself, and uh, I was sitting in a bowl, and this is a pretty good sized bowl, probably oh. Caller, listen. Caller, listen. We're out of time. We're out of time. Can you do me a favor? Yes, sorry. Put it to, put it together, and this goes for everybody because you know the calls are just stacked up. So if everybody would be so kind, and you would be so kind, as to put the details, everything you can think of, in an email, and get it to Todd Standing, I'd appreciate it. Todd would appreciate it. We'll let you know what the follow up uh, is with bugs. That, that's really something. And uh, Todd, again, if you would give out your email address one more time, please, clearly. Yeah, it's uh, S-Y-L-V-A-N-I-C underscore com, C-O-M, at hotmail.com. Okay. Um, let's you, can, you, can, you can Google my name, uh, Todd Standing, or you can Google Sylvanic, and, uh, or just do a search for those, those either one of those. It'll take you to my website, sylvanic.com, and then there's the contact us. And again, please be patient. Uh, the website's just getting crazy bombarded right now. So You got it, Todd. Thank you for being my guest. Uh, it has been spectacular. It's a classic program. Thank you. And uh, obviously, we'll do it again. So Fantastic. take care. Of, to it. Okay, take care, my friend. Good night. You too. Good night. And George will pick the gauntlet up and run tomorrow night. I'll see you next weekend from the high desert. I'm Art Bell. Good night.